This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, Welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys over Eric Carlson and their keeper pools. Brian, we are into the preseason. I'm very excited, but first, I guess I'll introduce myself. I'm Elon Dubrowski. With me is my co-host. I'm too excited. The Corsi Authority, the Ad Drop Ace, the Poobah Prognostication, the Connoisseur of Conjecture, the Prima Donna of Prophecy, Brian Calm. Hello, Elon. Hello, everyone. One day that's just going to be the whole episode, right? Just nickname after nickname after your nickname and that is an episode i will listen twice to okay yeah because it'll be a two-minute episode but yeah brian uh you have lots of nicknames because you have lots of analysis for us all the time and i just want to make you know give you your due for all that you give us but we've got a huge show today everyone i'm really excited for we were thinking okay we could just do another regular episode oh let's find out the top five defensemen that are being overlooked in drafts or you know whatever all the podcast content that everyone's doing right now because the season hasn't started yet but i thought f that we're gonna go through every single team in the NHL and go through at least one tidbit about what's going on in the preseason. We'll see if there's any interesting lines or any interesting players standing out. And all this information will probably be useful to us for the next week. And then you could throw it in the garbage. But a lot of us are drafting soon. So hopefully there will be something useful in this mess of information. Oh boy, Brian, here we go. Here we go. But also, I like I actually said every preseason, I want to get always right out in front of everything and saying like don't think too hard about what's happening it's just preseason, aka silly season as some of us podcast analysts call it uh but this year i kind of find myself wanting to get caught up in it like you know we recorded our almanac uh we've sort of been sitting in the same data for so long that i'm ready to get carried away in all the preseason madness let's see how carried away i'll allow myself to get yeah so i'll throw you different news items, and then you could comment on how interested you are in taking it seriously. Uh, before we get into that, let's of course mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com. It's the top fantasy hockey website out there. I can't believe we got them to agree to have this partnership with us. Very exciting. They've got a guide out there that you should have bought a long time ago. It's updating all the time. He just dropped a bunch of updates in this past week. That's the best thing about it. You buy it once, you keep downloading the updates as the preseason goes on. Maybe Dauber's going to listen to this podcast episode and then update his guide with all the smart things that we say. So check it out, DauberHockey.com. Then, aside from that, Brian, I'm just ready to get into 
it. I will mention, this isn't a promotion. I'm just going to say that we did our Fantasy Hockey Almanac around a month ago now where we projected every single player that we thought was fantasy relevant. And you could buy that at keepingcarlson.com slash almanac. We've cut the price 50% off, but this isn't an advertisement, okay? I'm saying this because part of this episode is so we came up with projections for all these players. And I think this is going to be our, let's make this our like final chance to update any projections that we want. So as we go through these news items, I'll also be throwing at you what our projections were for these players. And we could come up with our final changes. And don't worry, we have a change log in the spreadsheet that you get when you buy the almanac. So people who bought it and want to know, wait, is this the old one or the new one? You'll see because it'll be in the change log. Okay, so I've set all the table, Brian. So why don't we just get started with our first team? We're going to go in almanac order, which means starting in the Atlantic Division with the Carolina Hurricanes. Are you ready to go? I am so ready to go. I was ready like two minutes ago. Come on. Okay, well, I wanted to set the table a little bit. All right, but you're right. I'm going. I'm never going to stop. So earlier in the week, Sarah Siv tweeted some interesting lines. They were uh, Dezingle with Aho and Nino Niederreiter. So Ryan Dezingle, someone who we totally wrote off when we recorded our almanac, didn't expect him to do much of anything. We did. I don't think we expect him to be on line one, but she tweeted out Dezingle, Aho, Nino Niederreiter in practice. And then it was a stall, terrifying and Sveshnikov on the second line, Howla, Nichas, Fogel. Uh, then a couple days ago, Chip Alexander tweeted, and he even like d- said this for us, don't read too much into the lines. But at that point, it was Aho, Niederreiter, Sveshnikov, and then Teravainen with Dezingle, Gauthier, uh, stall with Fogel and Nietzsche. Okay, so a bunch of lines. Also, we have, there were power play units tweeted out. Uh, Dezingle, Howla, Aho, Niederreiter, Turbo, Gardner, which is like six players now that I'm looking at it, so I'm assuming Howla wasn't there. Uh, so anyways, a lot of names being thrown at us. I'm gonna tell you this. Okay, here are my main takeaways, Brian, and then you'll tell me what you think. I feel like maybe Ryan Dezingle should be higher on our radar, because in both the earlier week lines and the later in the week lines, Ryan Dezingle was on the top line with Aho, either with uh, Nino Niederreiter or with Svechnikov. Uh, you projected 50 points for Dezingle. I went 47. I should probably at least join you, right? Like, are you thinking of going higher now even, now that it's looking like clear that Carolina seems to want him in the top six, maybe even top power play? He was also on that projected top power play that was tweeted. I think I was already making the assumption that Carolina wants Dezingle in their top six, and I'm not going to suggest it's really that much clear because of these preseason lines. I think it's as clear as you'd like it to be, right? If you want Dezingle to be in the top six, it looks like you have the evidence to back that up. If you don't, uh, it's just preseason. Let's not look too deeply into this. But for the sake of our discussion, let's assume that Dezingle is going to be in the top six in Carolina, which, again, figured that was kind of a likely scenario during our almanac recordings. Uh, so I'm not going to raise him up from where I've got him right now. Uh, to be honest, though, I had backed off Dezingle a bit in mocks because of concern that he wasn't going to crack the top six. But I like to see Carolina giving him a look. And I think he's going to be good enough to take advantage of it. So I am good to hold Dezingle as like a sort of secondary scoring kind of guy who's going to have enough opportunities to reach 50 points, but I don't think so many that he's going to get a whole lot more. Yeah, I'll go a little higher. I'll go 52 because I'm saying top six. He's been playing with Aho on the top line, which is huge. Like you're, you know, Cuckoo Bananas over Nino Niederreiter because he'll play with Aho and Dezingle had a similar season to Niederreiter last year. Anyways, I don't know. You could uh, correct me if I'm wrong there. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to bring up that's come out lately is that Jake Gardner, I saw he was projected to be quarterbacking the top power play with Dougie Hamilton on the second power play, Falk on neither of them. Of course, they might be trying to trade Falk. We heard rumors of him going to Anaheim. So who knows? But Jake Gardner on the top power play, 
that would be interesting, right? And on one hand, you might say, now, come on, Hamilton will be there before Gardner. But we always think that about Hamilton. It's always someone else ahead of him. Like, think back to TJ Brody and then Justin Falk last year. So, I don't know. Last year, uh, Gardner paced for around 40 points. Do you think we should put him... Because we actually didn't even project him in the Almanac because he wasn't signed to a team yet. So, we have to come up with a projection for him anyway. Should we just put him at the 40-point pace that he had last year in Toronto? Should we go higher because he might actually get significant power play time with Aho and company? I think it's the same as Toronto for Jake Gardner. I don't really think there's a possibility of power play one, despite what we might have been seeing in preseason. Look, in Toronto, he didn't beat out Morgan Riley. I don't think uh, by that virtue he's going to be capable of beating out Dougie Hamilton or maybe even Justin Falk as Falk remains trade bait. Uh, You know, there's a lot of smoke, it seems, with Gardner on the top power play in preseason, but I don't believe there will be fire. I think a repeat of Gardner's Toronto projection sounds very fair to me. As a Maple Leaf, Gardner was on a 40-ish point pace with power play production below even what you'd expect from a second pair. So I think 40 is fair to expect from him in Carolina. And if he can get half-decent second power play production there, then uh, he is a threat to get to 45. Okay, so I'll join you at 40, because we do also know that top power play on Carolina for a defenseman is not a guarantee of a lot of points. Look at Justin Falk last year with his 35-point pace from that position, and you're saying you don't even think Gardner will get there. Uh, Okay, one more thing about Carolina. We won't do as many things for every team, but another player that jumped out at me when I was looking at our projections, we had Martin Nichas pretty high. (laughs) Uh, We both were expecting him to be in the top six, and we projected him for 40 and 42 points. Now I kind of wonder if it's looking like Jordan Stahl's going to be centering the second line, and then Ajo's going to be centering the first line and Nietzsche's is like in the bottom six probably we have a bit too high I'm thinking of like dropping him down to like 35 this is only a very deep league conversation I just wanted to put it out there before I put it in the change log yeah I think that's fair I'd love to see Jordan Stahl be in more of a checking role and see Nietzsche's get the better scoring wingers or at least see them both with evenly talented scoring wingers in a top nine kind of scheme uh, I'm gonna leave Nietzsche's where he is but I definitely like the downside is very apparent when you take a look at these Carolina lines and are like oh uh okay like I, I see how bad it can get so he's not a guy that I'm going too far out on a limb for but still a, a nice depth pick in a deep enough league with some scoring upside mm. Maybe. We're going to talk about a lot of players who we didn't project that I'm, like, getting kind of excited about, and Nietzsche will be probably at the bottom of them. Maybe as we come up with them, I'll ask you Nietzsche versus this person. I have a feeling we're going to have Nietzsche at the bottom. Okay. Uh, And before you move on from Carolina, how about the one name that you haven't dared bring up again, Nino Niederreiter? Why aren't you talking about him? Because in these changes that you've, like, of the lines that we've seen in preseason line combos that you just referenced— one of the few constants is that Nino Niederreiter has been by Sebastian Ajo's side in those iterations. And you laughed in the Almanac at my Nino Niederreiter projection on the Almanac, where I suggested he was going to be a top-line player, that he was going to be hooked up with Ajo, and that was going to lead to a huge season for him. Where are you at now? Um, I mean, I did laugh, if, if you say so, I believe you, but you projected 68 points. I went 58. I'm good to stick with 58. Like, I don't think he's... Even if he stays on the top line all season, I think 58 is a pretty nice projection for Nito Niederreiter. That would be a career high. So I'm good with that still. But if you want to stick with 68, I wasn't even going to ask you about it. That doesn't mean to say that I don't think he's good. It means I didn't want to even ask you if you want to change it because I knew you wouldn't. 
Of course I wouldn't, but like this is a time for where you can do a quick about face before the season begins. No, I'm very happy at 58 for Nita Ryder. Mm. And Brian, I'm taking this very seriously because I'm planning on using these projections for my all-important cupful Tier 1 draft next week. So I need to get this right. I can't be going and reaching for Nino Nita Ryder as a 70-point guy, okay? All right, so let's go now. I'm not saying reach for him. Well, I mean, if I think he... Well, I'm saying he's, he's going to be available with a bunch of 55, 60-point players in a lot of drafts, and he's got upside beyond a whole bunch of them. Yeah, so it would be cool if, if it gets to a point where I could draft him or another 50 to 55, 60 point guy, uh, maybe I will take Rider just so that I could high five you whenever he gets a point because you'll be so excited about it and I'm going to want to get in there with you. So sounds good for sure. But uh, let's go to Columbus now. Okay. Okay, so in the Almanac, we discussed a lot of different options for who we thought would take Panarin's line one and power play one spot with Dubois and Atkinson. We threw out names like Nyquist, Josh Anderson, Oliver Bjorkstrand, but so far, it's been another guy getting the opportunity, a guy named Alex Texier. Yesterday, in the 3-1 win over Pittsburgh, Columbus ran Dubois, Atkinson, Texier, and then Felino with Anderson and Boone Jenner. Uh, Bjorkstrand and Nyquist didn't play, so obviously you can't read too much into those lines. But yesterday, Aaron Portsline tweeted the lines. Texier, Dubois, Atkinson, Nyquist, Wenberg, Bjorkstrand, Felino, Jenner, Anderson. So Aaron Portsline, he's a beat writer for Columbus. I'm going to assume he knows what he's talking about. He's also a writer for The Athletic. And I linked to an article in our show notes. Blue Jackets turned to rookie Alexander Texier to take Artemi Panarin's spot on the number one line. So there's a whole article about it. By the way, when I say in our show notes, uh, one quick thing. Uh, so a perk for our patrons is they get access to all these notes that Brian and I are reading. Uh, it's just part of the perk of being a $5 patron amongst a bunch of other things. So our patrons are going to get this. This would be a good episode to have access to because I'm linking to all these tweets and articles as I go through here. Anyway, okay. Alexandre Texier. Brian, what do you think? Uh, Because now I feel like if he's going to be on the top line, we definitely need to bump up our projections, especially you. I projected him for 42. We did mention him in the Almanac, so I'm happy about that. I projected 42. You went with 30. Uh, Obviously, you could say it's preseason, who knows, but the fact that they're trying him there for multiple games and Aaron Portsline thinks that he's going to be on the top line must mean you want to go higher than 30, right? I mean, Columbus seemed to like Alexandre Texier last year enough to play him in eight of their 10 playoff games, although he saw just about 10 shifts a game for the last three games he played against Boston. Uh, But he has uh, been slowly building a resume to be a relevant NHL player. The native of France had a nice finish in his European career last season. He led his team in scoring in the Finnish league with 41 points in 55 games as a 19-year-old, so pretty impressive feat there. And then he went ahead and put up seven points in seven games with AHL Cleveland. And now uh, Columbus wants to give Wenberg a shot at second line center again, and that kind of forces the Blue Jackets to try Texier out as a wing rather than bury one of those centermen on line three in a pretty thin lineup. Uh, I imagine you kind of want Texier and Wenberg both in your top six as unknown as they might be as fantasy or production entities. So yeah, I will bump Texier up a touch from 30. I don't think I'm going to get to your 42, though. Are you going above your 42? Yeah, I was thinking of going like to 45 or maybe even 50. If he's going to be a top liner, then uh, why not? But I bet he might not be there the whole time. So I'll go up to 45. No, I'm going to go to 48. How about that? Okay, I'm going to uh, stay sane and put him at 39. <laughs> okay. 
I'll go back to 45. So there we go. This is what the almanac sounded like a lot of the time. <laughs> By the way, you mentioned uh, Wenberg's second line center. I mean, I'm looking at Aaron Port's lines, lines here, Nyquist, uh, Wenberg, Bjorkstrand, and then Felino, Jenner, Anderson. I guess it seems like kind of a middle six there after that top line. Anyway, uh, speaking of Gustav Nyquist, uh, I'll ask you, do you want to reconsider now that Nyquist might not be on the top line? I think when we talked about him in the almanac, that was kind of your assumption when you projected him for 57 points. I went 50 for Nyquist, and I think I'm okay to stay there, but I wonder if now your 57 looks a little high. It does look a little high, uh, especially if Texier sticks on the top line. And I can see, again, Columbus needs to spread their thin forward talent around. I, like, you know, they're not like other teams in situations where, where they have three really great players and they're going to load up their top line and that line's going to run rampant. Even if you have a top line of Nyquist, Dubois, Atkinson, there's no guarantee that that line is going to be dominant. So why not try and spread them around a little bit, which would be a shame for Gustav Nyquist, who will at least still probably get top power play deployment, if not on the top line. Uh, I still think there's a pretty good chance that he ends up there, you know, like in a late game situation or third period trailing Nyquist ends up on the top line if Texier isn't really working out optimally. So uh, I'll, I'll bump him down to like 55, but just just more symbolic than anything to take him just further away from 60 points. Okay, that's fair. I think you're higher on Nyquist just as a player in general than I am. Like, I feel like his awesome run last year had a lot to do with playing with Dylan Larkin. So do I, but he also made Dubois better and, uh, sorry, he also made Larkin better and I think Dubois is a pretty good player too. I, I don't think he's quite Dylan Larkin yet, but he's not chopped liver. Yeah, but Nyquist might not play with Dubois, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, so the, it would really hurt him to play on the second line with Wenberg for most of the season. I agree. So if he's away from Dubois, like the downside is huge. Who did I have my volatility marker on in Columbus? Ah, uh, well, now you're getting into language that non-Almanac purchasers <laughs> may not know what you're talking about yet. Yeah, we gave each other, uh, each we each had a volatility marker per team for a player that we thought uh, we had no idea what their projection would be or it could go like a lot higher or a lot lower. You put yours on Zach Wierenski, who you projected for 47 and a half, uh, or for 47, I should say. Uh, but anyway, why, why do you ask? Because you're, you're thinking you wanted to switch. You can't switch your volatility marker in this okay. episode. I'll get too crazy. If, if I could, I would. Have we mentioned our new almanac thing? I mentioned that it's going to be 50% off, yeah. Okay, perfect. There you go. 10 bucks, and you get every chapter. You can also buy them as singles. But no, no ads, because we already have a couple other ads scheduled for this episode, so we won't bug you with anything else. Okay. Uh, in net, by the way, for Columbus, you know, we have no idea who the starting goalie is going to be so far. It's like literally, I'm going to tell you about two games. Eunice Corposalo played well in the win yesterday, stopping 24 of 25. Merz Lickens, not as good today, stopping only 29 of 34 versus St. Louis. So, so far, I'd say if this is a tennis match, the advantage is on Eunice Corposalo. So, if I had to draft right now, I would be drafting uh, Corposalo ahead of Merz Lickens. I know you agree because you already thought Corposalo greater than Merz Lickens going into the season. I did, but I'm also not going to read anything into this This so far. I think we're still just a, a titch far out from the season to get a sense of which goalie they're playing. I'd be looking at if a goalie starts the last two games of preseason heading into the regular season. I know a lot of drafts happen before then, but if you end up with one of these goalies and the other one is in free agency, that's sort of your benchmark to try and uh, jump on the guy who's going to be the opening night starter. Also, Elon, before we move on from Columbus, I'm not going to do this for every team, but I uh, just want to point out that Alex Wenberg and Oliver Bjorkstrand are both getting some good uh, like reclamation project media and buzz and press. And then like in Columbus, I'm seeing from Aaron Portsline over the Athletic and Brian Hedger as well, who's I think the beat writer for the uh, Columbus Journal Dispatch. I know how important 
it is for you to know exactly where these people do their apply their trade. Uh, so I'm actually I have Wenberg at 32 points because I sort of thought that uh, Columbus was done giving him chances, but I think they need him to do more. So I'm actually going to put him at 40 points. <laughs> I'm gonna. Oh, sorry, I had him at 38 points. You had him. At 26. Yeah. So do you... So I, okay, our average was 32. Uh, are you going to bump him up? Nah, he sucks. Okay, I'm going to bump him up to 39, symbolically. Okay, very good. I kind of want him to put him 41. So do it, I don't care. 41. All right, okay. So now let's go to New Jersey. Maybe I'm... Fine, I'll go to 30. Fine. Like, 26 is ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, I'm basing that on data of last year where he paced for 27. Is that your lowest forward projection in the entire almanac? It could could be. I don't know. (laughs) I mean, he was nothing last year, so I don't see why things will change. They're bringing in new, young, exciting players, and Wenberg's a big uh, pile of nothing, at least in Columbus. No, he's not. He's a really good player. Like, he's shown it before. It's in there somewhere. It's just a matter of if it comes out again this year, which, look, I don't know if it'll happen, but the potential that we saw a couple years ago is still there. And I love, by the way, that you've bumped him up from 26 to 30, and he might still be your lowest projected forward in the Almanac. Yeah, okay. By the way, I'm just like playing devil's advocate for fun. You're making really good points, Brian. Maybe he's worth it. I don't want to go any higher than that, but my like mocking tone isn't meant to be like, I think you're a complete moron for saying this. I get why you're saying it, okay? I just want to make sure people know. I don't want people to think that I'm being mean to you here on on the podcast. Okay, Uh, New Jersey. Bjorkstrand, we both have at 40. I'm not changing him, but I am like eyebrow raised at him. Okay, fair. Fair enough. We have 29 teams to go. So let's I see. think they'll both outscore Boone Jenner. Yeah, but Boone Jenner will still be more worthwhile in most leagues because of his shots and hits. So Okay, well, you have Boone Jenner scoring more points than both of them in your projections. Yeah. Okay, good. So, New Jersey. <laughs> uh, not too much to say about them in terms of their lines. Like Everything has kind of been looking as we'd expect. Uh, we've seen Heashier and Hughes both getting chances to play with Taylor Hall, but that's mainly because one, the other one wasn't playing, so you can't really read much into that. Uh, the only thing I'll say about New Jersey, for the most part, at least for the forwards, is just everyone is doing so great. Like, Taylor Hall played his first game in forever a couple days ago. Goal and an assist. Gusev has played with both Hughes and Heashier in different games. And all three of these guys, Gusev, Hughes, Heashier, have been crushing it. Yesterday, Jesper Bratt played with Gusev and Hishir on the second line, picked up a couple power play assists. Seems like Brad is the best bet to fill that last top six spot. We actually talked about him in our Yahoo rankings episode last week, where he's like ranked in like the 800s or something, but Jesper Bratt could end up being really solid. Uh, Will Butcher had a nice game himself, one goal, one assist yesterday, so maybe my 26-point projection is a bit low, but this is obviously a super deep league thing. Like, maybe you went 30, maybe I should at least join you at 30 for Will Butcher, so I'm gonna do that, actually. I'm gonna just join Brian. Wow. Is that bad? That, that, that's Alex Wenberg numbers right there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, then let's mention the goalies. So Corey Schneider has now played three preseason games, and he's been awesome in all three. He has a 935 save percentage overall in those three games. Uh, Mackenzie Blackwood played his first full game on Friday. He was decent as well in the win over the Rangers, stopping 21 of 23. Uh, so I don't really see a reason why either of us would be convinced to change anything with our skater projections. If anything, I wonder if maybe we're like too low on Corey Schneider in our goalie tiers. Like we have Schneider in tier five. This New Jersey team is like just looking so good. Schneider's doing fantastically. I wonder if he should be in tier four. 
uh, you know, move him away from guys like Lundqvist, Crawford, Leonard, and move him up with guys like Rask, Ranta, Markstrom. I feel like Schneider might fit in there. I know that there's still Blackwood is a challenger, so that would be a good reason to keep him there. But, you know, we don't actually have to make a change, but just food for thought. I feel like Corey Schneider could be like a huge steal. There's obviously a lot of downside because he could get injured and he did have that rough stretch last year, but he's looking good now. And this New Jersey team is just looking like it could be a really fantastic team. I mean, I'm chewing on that, Elon, and it's just not digesting very well. For Schneider, his injury concerns still remain. His consistency concerns still remain. He still hasn't shown us any reasonable amount of steady play to go on. Like, I know you're like, oh, but his stretch at the end of the season was so good, except he went like a calendar year without picking up a win. Like, he has had serious issues, and I know you've seen enough to hope that, oh, all that's behind him now, and now he's, like, reactivated his elite Schneider that he was once upon a time. Well, I'm, I'm not, not ready. I'm not saying that. Well, okay, but he's he's somewhere. He's close enough to it. Like, he's at least an average NHL goaltender, which we haven't seen from him in too long for me to want to move him above uh, guys like Henrik Lundqvist. So I, still, he, I, I think he still belongs in Tier 4 because there's just so much uncertainty around him. But, you know, you could make the argument New Jersey should be better than Chicago and the Rangers this year. So maybe that's a reason to move him away from Crawford, Lehner, and Lundqvist and up to Ranta and Markstrom and Tuco. No. I I can't. I can't even entertain the idea. Corey Schneider remains exactly where we put him in Tier 4. No, it was Tier 5, actually, but it doesn't matter. People could go to... Tier 5. Yeah, people could go to keepingcarlson.com slash goalies to see what goalie tiers Brian came up with. I actually disagreed with you on some of the things. You'll have to go listen to that episode to know what I disagreed about, but obviously Brian knows what he's talking about. And here, I think he might be wrong, but uh, fair enough. We got to move on to the New York Islanders. Andrew Gross wrote an article this morning for, I, I know you, you want me to say it, for Newsday.com, okay? So he's a beat writer for the Islanders. He's, he's verified on Twitter. And the, the article was titled, Articles, Top Line of Lee, Barzal, Eberly Looks Strong in Preseason Debut. And his first sentence of the article was, Islanders coach Barry Trotz plans to start the regular season with this top line from the end of last season intact, Matthew Barzal between Captain Anders Lee and right-wing Jordan Eberly. So... I'm going to go with, for now, Barzal, Lee, Eberly being a thing, which would not be great for Josh Bailey, who played with Barzal for a lot of last season. I think he was bumped from that line near the end. Uh, we projected Josh Bailey at like around 56, 57 points, and we both had Eberly at 53. Should we consider maybe flipping these guys or just bringing Bailey down? I'm definitely not comfortable with Josh Bailey, who was already off top power play for a lot of last year. And now if he's not going to be playing with Barzal or Anders Lee, like it seems like they're just stacking up their top line with their three best players, uh, that concerns me about Josh Bailey then I am also concerned too like we projected Bailey assuming he was going to hold his depth chart standing but significant time away from the top line and Matt Barzal would mean that I would want to dig him a few ding him a few points but you know we've also seen this these iterations change very quickly so I, I don't know that we can really go a ton off of what we're seeing, except to know that at least like the Islanders aren't married to Bailey playing with Barzell. So, you know what? I think that is enough to, to knock him down at least a couple points here. So uh, I had him at 57. I'm going to put him down to 50. I'll put him like 54. If I was going to go one direction from there, I'd go lower. I still think he is going to end up with Barzell a bunch. And, and I have to mention the same thing for Aberly, because uh, my concern going into the season is that he's going to end up playing half the year with Brock Nelson, 
as ended up being the case last year when he also started alongside Matt Barzell. So just, you know, a preseason game with Matt Barzell means nothing, uh, especially if an opening night game with Matt Barzell also means nothing for Jordan Eberle. I am hoping he can stick with, with Barzell and Lee and that two things then happen when Eberle is on that top line. The first is that Anders Lee's shooting percentage bounces back and also that the top power play that Eberle keeps his spot on, looks like a top power play and not like a secondary unit at best the way it did last year. So I'm not going to push him up a whole bunch. I think I'll put him, I, I do, I will put him up above Bailey, assuming that, okay, if what we're seeing now is what we're going to see opening night, it's a safe bet to assume that's going to happen again. So I'm going to put Eberly. I'll give him 56 points, uh, a couple more than Bailey and give me 53 for Bailey. Just okay. To, to be really pedantic about it. Okay, I'm just going to leave Eberly where I had him at 53, but I'm dropping Bailey all the way down to 50. He's just not someone I'm interested in my draft, so I'm just going to put him there. And I think that, actually, what I told you is a little better than like a single preseason game line. Like This was a quote from Barry Trotz, which I think, as far as preseason information goes, that's like the gold standard. If you get a coach telling you these are the lines he wants to use, that's, like to me, the best you can get for now as for trying to predict what the lines are going to be. So... Yeah, we'll see. But as you say, obviously that could change, especially if things don't work out. That's the whole reason why you have a coach is that you can make changes on the fly once you observe what's going on. Uh, another quick thing on the Islanders, Devin Taves scored a power play goal and an assist in his first preseason game versus Detroit on Friday. Don't forget, Devon Taves was on the top power play in the playoffs last year for the Islanders. Power play goal in his first preseason game. We had like wildly different projections for him. Uh, you had the uh, Wenberg projection here. You went with 30. I went with 41. Uh, I think that it's looking to me like Devon Taves is going to be the top power play guy and also get a decent amount of ice time. So I'm happy to stick with my 41. Are you going to stick with 30 or do you want to change? Is your last chance? Uh, I will move him up. But does this mean that we also need to consider moving Nick Letty? So we have, uh, let's see, let's look at the whole Isles decor. So Nick Letty, uh, we had uh, averaging at 34 points. Uh, Pulak, we had averaging just under 45. And then Devin Taves, we had at 36. So, uh, like, I still think that's going to be the order of final points scored, but I should put Taves up a little higher. I, I, I feel like the most likely scenario is that he starts on power play one and he and Letty end up sharing time there somehow. Well, Pulak just keeps doing his thing from the second power play unit and at even strength. So I will move Devin Taves uh, with this stated intention that he's going to start on the top power play. I'll move him up to like 30, 39. Okay, that's good. That's a big jump when you had him at 40 or at 30 before. And yeah, we already had Nick Letty low, so we don't have to change him very much. I had him lower than you. I had 33, you had 35. Uh, I, this is kind of like a Carolina situation, right? Like you've got Hamilton and Ryan Pulak, who we think are like kind of the best defensemen, but they're on the second power play. And then we'll see who like goes on the top power play. But it's also someone who doesn't give you many, many peripherals. Like Devontae's isn't really great for perifs, but uh, maybe he could be good for a 40 point pace or so. So we'll see. Also, I don't know. This is like not a big news item. Like I'm not saying he's even been penciled in to be on the top power play he did have a power play goal in his first game but like Letty wasn't playing in that game but I am also basing that on the fact that he was the top power play guy in the playoffs last year uh okay New York Rangers. We already said on the last show uh, that David Quinn has indicated that he plans to play Pavel Buchnevich on the top line with Panarin and Zibanejad. Then the second line uh, was looking like Kako, Kreider, and Filipito. 
So I think we may want to bring down our Capococco projections, or at least I might want to. Like, I projected him for 60 points. That was definitely assuming that he was going to be playing with Panarin and Zibanejad, because Zibanejad was already learning how to speak Finnish. Uh, you went 59 points for Kako. I think I'd rather project and draft him as, like, closer to a 50, 55-point guy, not a 60-point guy. And also, by the way, people keep on asking, you know, who do you think is the better rookie for this year, Hughes or Kako? I'm officially, like, changing my stance uh, from what I've seen from the Devils and this, the fact that Kako's off the top line, potentially on the Rangers. Like, I like Hughes as my top rookie forward this year, and I think I'm going to bring Kako down. Let me see what you bring him down to, if anything, and then maybe I'll just mirror you. What do you think? The trouble with projecting Kako is that it's a pretty big drop from first line to second, right? First line, you're with Zibanejad and Panarin. Second line, you're with uh, probably Heedle and Kreider. Uh, Kreider's no chump, right? And Heedle could turn out to be something, but it's a pretty big drop. Uh, so uh, Kako not being assured top line status. First off, Zibanejad's Finnish lessons have gone completely to waste if they can't chat in Finnish while playing together on the ice. Uh, so I will drop Kako. I'll put him at like 54. I still think in leagues where uh, like position eligibility means that a winger is more valuable than a center, there could still be an argument for Kako to be taken above Hughes, except Hughes... We know, like, anywhere in the top six in New Jersey is going to work out just fine for him. There's not going to be a huge drop, so long as he can bring it himself. And uh, early indications seem to be that he's going to be able to. So I might think Jack Hughes is being sort of the safer pick, but I think Kako's ceiling might still be higher. Yeah, okay, that seems fair. Uh, I don't think Kako's ceiling is higher, though. I think Hughes' ceiling is, is higher, higher because he could play with Taylor Hall. Uh, so I'm going to actually bump up my Jack Hughes projection. Now that I'm saying I had Hughes at 53, I'll go him 57, and then I'm going to bring Kako down to uh, 52 when you have him down at, at 54. In the end, I don't know, if you're in a keeper league, obviously you want to get both of these guys, and if you're in a one-year league, it's really tricky because you don't want to be passing on like an established 55, 60-point guy to take a chance on Hughes and Kako, and really, like, what can you expect? You're not going to see like 70 points most likely. Like, that would be like Elias, Elias Pettersson uh, numbers, and I don't know if we're going to be expecting that. Uh, but you never know. Okay, uh, Brian, let's go to Philly now. Everything looks pretty much as expected here from what I've seen so far. We're still waiting. Are we tra- skipping Buchnevich? Oh, yeah, we can talk about Buchnevich. We both projected him for around 52, 53. I'm okay with that uh, because who knows if he's going to stick on the top line. I'm, I'm not going to go higher on Buchnevich. You can if you want. So if you're, But if you're taking Kako down because he's not going to play more on the top line play as much on the top line. That means someone's going to. Don't you think it will be Buchnevich? Yeah, but I don't know. It doesn't always work that way, Brian. Maybe just there will be fewer points to go around. I don't know. I don't want to put Buchnevich higher than 52, and I don't want to have Kako higher than 52 either, and uh, that's just the decision I've decided to make because maybe they'll both take turns on the top line, so I don't know. Yeah, I mean, we've seen Buchnevich really struggle to hold good deployment before. Uh, he has a history of disappointing coaches and losing plum opportunities. So I'm actually just going to put him and Kako even, both at 54. And I also did bump Hughes up a few points as well. Cool. So okay. at 56 now. Great. Or just one point. Okay. Very good. Yeah. Uh, so let's go to Philly. And uh, like I said, everything's kind of looking the same. Alex in the chat room is saying that Morgan Frost is looking like he might make the team. So that's cool, but probably not in the top six. Uh, We're still waiting on Travis Konechny to show up after signing his new contract. I'll be curious to see if he gets back on the top line with Giroux and Couturier. A guy named Joel Farabee has him playing there in the meantime, Uh, but probably that's Konechny's spot, I would assume. The top power play seems to be as expected. Giroux played on the right side, Voracek on the left, Couturier, JVR, and Gossespeher. Uh, Carter Hart, by the way, 
way, has faced 25 shots now over two games. Like he's played two half games, still hasn't led in a goal. He's another goalie that I think we may be a little bit low on. Like I think I'm tempted to bump him up to the third tier with guys like Binnington and Hellebuck. I see Carter Hart as similar to them. I think I know you still think, or maybe you don't now. I don't know. But, like you have mentioned that you think Brian Elliott is still gonna like get a decent number of starts. I think that Carter Hart is like the for sure starter. I think this Philly team looks pretty good. So I'd probably have Carter Hart in tier three, but I won't argue too much. <laughs> So there you go. Uh, okay, yeah, I think he, he fits just fine amongst Rask, Ranta, Martin Jones, Markstrom, and Morozik. So uh, I'm not going to move him. Yeah, so people just have to listen to our voices and hear our arguments and then let us know who you agree with. Are you hashtag like, Team Elon, Elon or hashtag, I don't even know my own name, hashtag ta- Team Elon <laughs> or hashtag Team Brian on do you think Carter Hart should be in Tier 3 or if he should stay in Tier 4? Tier 3, Ben Bishop, Grubauer, Holtby, Murray, Rune, Dubnik, Bennington, Hellebuck. There's no way Hart's name belongs in that group. I think maybe I would like split that tier and put Bennington, Hellebuck, We've Hart. had this conversation. <laughs> okay, I'm just throwing it out. I'm just saying my opinion because I'm, right. I'm concerned about Bennington and Hellebuck. Like, like Bennington and Hart seem the same to me, to be honest. I think Hart even has a b- better pedigree, but obviously Bennington had that great run last year, but sort of Carter Hart. And then Hellebuck will get to Winnipeg at the end. Everything's looking very scary there. So I see those three as similar. But yeah, you're right. Some of those other goals are like Holtby, obviously, is in a different level. I've also moved uh, Travis Konechny up a couple points after that contract. I feel like there's a vote of confidence from Philly. Like they think... Like, they think they've gotten him what I hope he has to show. So uh, I had him at 53 points. I've now evened up with you at 55. Cool. Okay, I like this. I like whenever we're getting closer together. I feel like that makes me more confident in the projection. When we're far apart, that I worry that, like, one of us is very wrong and it could easily go either way. Uh, so now that uh, you'll be able to see Konechny on the top line in Philly, so will all the fans in Philly that get to go to those games. Same with all the fans who watch those games on TV. But but it's so much better to go to a game in person. And if you want to do that, what well, this is probably one of my worst ever segues, but why not use our friends over at SeatGeek to get you to one of these exciting NHL games? The NHL season is finally upon us. And if you don't have your tickets yet to go to a couple games, like what are you waiting for? This is going to be such a fun season. And honestly, there's other places where you can buy tickets, but they all kind of stink. Like, don't you feel like ticketing websites make getting to the event difficult on purpose? It's as if they're so big, they can just get away with not caring what the customer experience at all they can get away with anything so what if their site's annoying doesn't have the events you want status quo am i right uh the real question is how easy could it be if those ticketing sites actually cared well you don't have to worry about it because there is a ticketing site that cares and that is SeatGeek. in an industry that tends to stagnate SeatGeek decided to stand up from the crowd they built uh the fastest way to get tickets so you can stop searching for the perfect seat and just start enjoying it i really like how you can just search for tickets based on like value and you get well first of all i like to just take out the app and look see like what's going on in my city then once i pick my event you could sort tickets by value so you can sort by price obviously but by value is fun to know like what are the good deals out there uh it's a great app it's a lot of fun and i like to play this game with you every week brian where i'm going to tell you a couple events in a city and then you could try to guess which one is the most expensive and i decided why not for my friend brian i'm going to tell you what's going on in ottawa and then you can decide if you want to go to one of these events Okay, let's do it. All right, I, I like doing three also. I think, and you don't have to rank them. Just pick the most expensive one. But let's make it a little bit harder than just one versus the other. So you can, this weekend, this, you're going to have to go for a drive, but you can go to Montreal and see a preseason game of the Sens at the Canadians. Or you could stay in town and go see Celine Dion at the Bell Centre. Or you could go see some live comedy. How about Sebastian Maniscalco at the Canadian Tire Center? So you got Maniscalco, comedy show, Celine Dion, or you go to Montreal to see a preseason game, Sands at Habs. Which one is the most expensive? 
I don't know who that comic is, and I feel like every comic's name just sounds the same. Like, I just, the same image comes to mind no matter which kind. That's not nice to comics. I know you're all different and unique. Uh, okay, I think the Celine Dion ticket is the hottest one. Ding, ka-ching, ka-ching. You got it right, yeah, Brian. That's easy. Still pretty cheap. $73. You go see Celine Dion. Uh, you go see Sebastian Maniscalco, who's very funny. $61. Or you could go for less than 20 bucks to go see a preseason game Senators at Habs this weekend. That's like one of the final preseason games. So there's actually going to be uh, some significant stakes in terms of seeing like what the lines will be. So there you go. You get all these things. And these prices over at SeatGeek. And Brian, if you don't like that price, if you want it a little cheaper, you can if you're a listener of our podcast. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, because you listen to our podcast, you will be armed with a promo code to make your first ever SeatGeek purchase that is going to give you $10 off. All you need to do, use that promo code. It's keeping, and it'll give you $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. That's promo code keeping for $10 off on your first SeatGeek purchase because SeatGeek Life's, is this even still their slogan? It's not on our copy this time. So you don't have to say it, but for one last time, for good old time's sake, uh, life's an event. They got we the ticket. We have the tickets. Well, someone has the tickets. <laughs> so, now, maybe they took away that slogan because it was hard for the podcasters to read it and then try to explain who, where these tickets actually are. I don't think there are tickets, right? It's all virtual. These aren't actual tickets. It's just numbers in a computer. Okay. That isn't everything just numbers in a computer? Well, sometimes if you like go... Hockey is. If you, to like, me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Brian doesn't watch the games. What a what a nerd! Who wastes their time with that? Sometimes you could like go to a sports stadium and buy a ticket at the door, and then you do actually get a printed out ticket. That you have to you get it from the ticket gate, and then you walk to the guy who's going to look at the ticket and scan it. Let's go. Okay, Pittsburgh. Uh, everything seems all over the place in Pittsburgh. Hard to keep up, honestly. Uh, I think it was just last week or the week before we talked about Dominic Cahoon practicing on the top line with Crosby and Gensel. The latest lines I've seen have Cahoon on the fourth line now and Brandon Tanev playing on the top line with Crosby and Gensel. And oh my God, Brian, the power play. Like, check out these tweets from Wes Crosby from a couple of days ago. So, here are the tweets. More experimenting with the power play. Hornquist joins Crosby, Malkin, Galchenyuk, and Schultz. Gensel on the second unit with Latang, Pedersen, McCann, and Cahoon. That's just one of the variations they've shown today. And then, like, a few minutes later, now it's Crosby, Malkin, Hornquist, Schultz, and Latang. A little bit of everything. So, like, to break that down, if you missed all those names so quickly, we had an option there with Gensel and Latang on the second power play and Galchenyuk, Schultz on the first one. Then there was a version with Latang Tang and Justin Schultz on the top power play. So three forwards and two D and no Crosby or no Crosby, Malkin, Hornquist, Schultz, Latang. So no Gensel there. I don't know. My takeaway generally from all of this is like, I'm a little bit higher on Justin Schultz because I'm seeing his name popping up in these top power play conversations, which is not something maybe we expected going into the summer. Uh, and I'm also a little lower on Chris Letang just because who knows? He's already an injury risk. And now even if there's a small risk of him not being on the top power play, that probably takes me down a point or two. Probably also going to be a little lower on Gensel because in actually both of these uh, tweets anyways, Gensel wasn't on the top power play and who knows how it'll shake out. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm just going to put him a little bit lower because I had Gensel all the way at 80 points, which was definitely assuming that he was going to build on last season, which was already amazing because he's going to get all that extra power play time. But there's reasons for him to not. So I'm more comfortable now saying 75 for Gensel. And then uh, you could comment on what you want to do with these three guys. 
I just don't want to move anyone in Pittsburgh. You started by saying everything seems all over the place, which, you know, means the Penn's blender is in mid-season form, baby. Like, I, I agree with you, Elon, on all counts about how you feel inclined to change. Like, I get that feeling, too, about wanting to move Gensel this much and Latang this much, but... I don't actually want to. I'm going to leave my projections the same. I'm going to have it in the back of my head like that. Oh, they've been trying two power plays and that would disadvantage Latang and Gensel and it would benefit Schultz and Galchenyuk. But I can't. I can't get on board with it. Like the Pens are about to go on a journey this season to find out what a good power play for them looks like post Kessel. Maybe it'll be a top unit that stays just as dangerous. Maybe it'll be two balanced units. We don't know. This is brand new uncharted territory for Pittsburgh and we're going to watch them figure it out and it's going to be frustrating like i wish this preseason game didn't even happen i wish you never found out about it to plant the seed of doubt in my mind i'm not going to change anything i could totally see everything just being the way we expected it on night one which is latang and gensel doing just fine on the top power play unit but it is good to know at least have that seed in the back of your mind that says oh, maybe pittsburgh wants to try justin schultz with their big guns and have latang and gensel contribute to a second unit that can also score i just don't see that being the case all season long yeah probably not all season long but it just makes me scared that you know this like gensel top power play lock him in the whole time maybe that is not as sure so fine i'm bringing gensel down to 75 you had him at 79 i, I actually looked at my schultz and latang projections and i'm good i had latang at 65 and schultz at 45 you were like higher on latang with 68 and lower on Schultz at 42, so I thought maybe you'd want to bring them a little closer together. I'm fine to keep mine together. I think I was already thinking that Latang and Schultz like could end up, you know, sharing some top power play time, which is why I had Schultz at 45. Uh, so. But everything you're saying makes a lot of sense, and who knows? I just think that things are maybe going to be a blender more than we expected, which makes me think that you don't want to just assume that Gensel and Latang are going to be on the top power play the whole time. You, you'd got, you would think Latang, but we've seen it before. Like we've seen Latang bump from the top power play for Schultz, even when both were healthy. Though that's actually a very rare thing that both Latang and Schultz are healthy. So hopefully for the Penguins, they'll get that next year. Okay, and then also, Brian, just a couple like more like housekeeping things. I'm going to join you with Jared McCann at 40 points. I put 45 because I thought he was going to be like a line one guy for a decent stretch because that's how the last season ended. I was naive and stupid, so I don't know why I did that. So yeah, I'm just going to join you with Jared McCann at 40 points, and I think that uh, that's it for Pittsburgh. Great. Okay, so next up, let's go to Washington. Finish off this division. We'll be one division down. Uh, not really much intrigue here. I'd expect Ovechkin, Backstrom, Wilson, Oshie, Kuznetsov, Verana. That's going to be the top six in one configuration or another. Haven't seen anything to convince me otherwise. Uh, I'll mention this. Radko Gudas has six shots and six hits in two preseason games so far. He was playing on the second pairing with Orlov a couple days ago. So yeah, don't forget about him in bangers leagues. Like sometimes maybe you would expect that Gudas might not hit anymore now that he's on a new team, but seems like he's hitting just fine. Also gotta love him taking some shots, getting second pairing, meaning he's going to have a decent amount of ice time potentially. Yeah, so that's nice. And like sometimes this happens, right? Where a player goes to a new team, especially a player who's expected to be physical. They want to come in, eager to make an impression. That's great. Let's see if Gudas can keep it up. And also, by the way, not get suspended. If you remember, in those days where he played with the biggest edge, uh, he frequently had to sit games out because of uh, crossing the line several different ways, several different times. Uh, But hopefully he'll leave that to Tom Wilson in Washington, and he can stay in the lineup, put in 
some kind of meaningful peripherals. I, I still don't expect much scoring to come, but he probably is the best candidate on the Washington decor to have a Niskanen-like season where he's just on the edge of fantasy relevance for several stretches. Yeah, we actually have him pretty low for points, like around 20. So maybe he could do higher, but let's not change it because uh, that's really nitpicking. But if you're in a league where like two years ago, Radko Gudas was like the defenseman to own in your bangers league, could be the case again in Washington. So don't forget about him. Uh, let's go to Anaheim now. We're in a new division. Uh, looks like the Raquel Steele Silverberg line is still very much a thing. That's how the season ended last year. And I saw a tweet from Elliot Tiford, who's a beat writer for Anaheim, and he was still tweeting out lines that included Raquel with Steele, Sam Steele, that is, and Jacob Silverberg. Last year, just to remind you, at the end of the year, Raquel ended the season with 17 points in his last 17 games, Silverberg 19 points in his last 17 games playing with Raquel, and then Sam Steele came up right at the end for the last nine games and had eight points playing with those guys after getting called up from San Diego. Uh, so, Brian, currently you've got Raquel, 65 points, Steele, 50 points, Silverberg, 47 points. Do those still look good to you? I'd imagine they do. Just throwing it out there. I'm not expecting you to change anything. I'm not changing anything. I made my thoughts very clear on Silverberg by now. At least I hope I have. And I'll say it one more time. Silverberg down that last stretch where he was super hot, scored eight times on 36 shots. He carried an 86% IBP all season long, which was even higher during that last hot stretch. Like these numbers for Silverberg that we saw in less than a quarter of a season, they're not going to repeat. Silverberg... Steele and Raquel all caught lightning in a bottle, and I'm not going to expect them to be able to repeat any version of that for a whole lot of time. Uh, You know, and I see Sam Steele and Silverberg both as guys who could get shaken out of top-line deployment real fast for other options uh, if they cannot recapture that lightning in a bottle. So yeah, I am not moving at all from my pretty low projection for Silverberg, my sort of optimistic projection for Steele and my... uh, feeling pretty good about Ricard Raquel regardless. Like, he's going to be fine. He doesn't need to to catch fire. He is fire. Yeah, well, you have him for 65 and I have him for 70. And I guess I'll stay. I can't, I can't change it. I have no reason to. Uh, and yeah, I don't know. Like, I feel like sometimes, Brian, I think I've said this before, like, when a player does, like, too well, you almost, like, it makes you, like, want to find more reasons. Why. Like, obviously, Silverberg had a high shooting percentage, but also, I'm not asking you to project him to be point per game, right? He, he had 19 points in 17 games in that stretch. So even if you half that production, I think you still would have him producing at higher than a 47-point pace, so or like around there. So you, you know what I mean, right? Like, I feel like I'm going to put him for 50. I'm not going crazy for Silverberg, but I do think he might be in line for career season if he plays the whole time with Ricard Raquel, and seems like that's a line that the coach likes at this point. Dallas Eakins, oh. new coach. Yeah, I'm not buying in. But like, yes, it's 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 promising for anyone who wants to believe in Silverberg that he has that opportunity to at least start the year. A career year for Silverberg doesn't mean a whole lot, right? His best season was 49 points in 79 games as a 26-year-old. That was three seasons ago now. Uh, so we'll see if he can beat that. I think he can. I think he could do 50. <laughs> uh, what if he had like 25 points in 17 games, but with a high shooting percentage? Then would you still be like 40? Like, what would he need to do along with a high shooting percentage before it's like okay that counts like just just so i understand for the future like how long would we ha- would he have to maintain a 25 percent shooting percentage well no like i'm just like three seasons like i guess i'm just saying like even though he had a high shooting percentage he also produced like a, like it's not as if he had like a 60 point pace with a high shooting percentage he had like a 90 point pace with a high shooting percentage so even if the shooting percentage came down to what you'd expect i'm pretty sure we would have still had him uh doing better than 47 but we're nitpicking yeah but it wasn't just a shooting percentage it was just him being able to pick up points on all his teammates goals and also his teammates were 
scoring at an unsustainable rate themselves. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I'd be willing to bet over under. Like, this is a guy whose ice time has dropped for three straight years. Maybe a new coach is going to help that. But but the season where he played the most, 18 and a half minutes, is when he scored the most, 49 points. Uh, he's also, like, his shot rates have taken a dive in recent years. That used to be the one appealing thing about Silverberg, that you could pick him up, put him on your team, and even if he doesn't uh, get you any points, he's at least going to get you three shots. But uh, he's stopped doing that the last two years. Fair. Okay, so I guess I'm not going to go out of a limb on uh, Silverberg. Okay, actually, how about this? Wenberg or Silverberg? Who would you rather have? Silverberg. Okay, good. Okay, so at least we're not too far out of the way. Uh, Arizona. I feel like I definitely need to downgrade my Nick Schmaltz projection. I had him at 59. I think I should at least match your 55 after reading an athletic article by Craig Morgan that said that Rick Tockett was uh, putting Derek Stepan as the center on the top line with Keller and Kessel while Schmaltz was with Dvorak and Connor Garland. Uh, So... That's good for Stepan if he could play with Kessel and Keller. Um, so we both have Schmaltz ahead of Stepan right now. Uh, I have at 59 and 55, and you have at 52 and 54. Uh, should we at least be even on these guys? Like, uh, do you think that we should at least have Stepan and Schmaltz with the same projection? Uh, I'd maybe even be tempted at this point to put Stepan a little bit ahead, like maybe put 55 points for Stepan, Schmaltz like 50. Yeah, it's really hard with both these guys because they have some pretty great upside, but also downside. And neither one is also known for doing a whole lot in any other categories when they're not scoring. So for Stepan and Schmaltz, if I'm picking between them, I'm going to lean Stepan by a hair. I think his floor is a touch higher. And so I'm happy to reverse. Like I had 55 points for Schmaltz, 54 for Stepan. I'm just going to reverse that. And uh, give Stepan 55. I was really sort of buying into your confidence about Schmaltz. But now that you've lost yours, uh, I'm just going to be pretty content uh, wanting Stepan as my first Arizona centerman. Okay. So I'll join you. I'll also go 55 for Stepan and 54 for Schmaltz. And uh, yeah, you never know. We'll have to wait and see. We haven't even seen a game yet with uh, Phil Kessel, I don't believe. Uh, yesterday, Keller and Stepan did play together in the 4-3 win over Anaheim. Kessel hasn't played. Uh, so those two got paired with the 2018 fifth overall pick, Barrett Hayton, who had a power play system that game. Seems to be getting a lot of praise on Twitter. People are really excited about Barrett Hayton. I'm not saying I think he's going to be on the top line. Obviously, that's Phil Kessel's spot. But do you think he'll make the team? Is he worth having on uh, your radar for this season? Or even if he makes the team, would you expect him to not be relevant? You know, he has a legit chance to make the team. I could see him being in the nine-game tryout territory before Arizona decides if they want Hayton to stick uh, with the lineup or play out his final year in Sault Ste. Marie. Uh, I don't know. Like, he's not someone I can get excited about until I see how willing they are to deploy him during that tryout. So he's not someone I'm reaching for in drafts, essentially, is what I'm saying. Okay, that's fair. By the way, a question in the chat room. You mentioned, uh, like, Silverberg and Raquel being line one in Anaheim. So uh, Kevin is asking, is Raquel line one or is the Getzlaff line one? And I know we sometimes get into too many arguments about what's line one and what's line two and really what does it matter. But yeah, I didn't comment on the Getzlaff line because uh, I still don't really know what's going on there. Like, he might be playing with Andre Kasha or he might be playing with Troy Terry. Uh, there's another name up there that I'm blanking on right now. So I'll let you know more about that line when I hear yeah. something about it. Richie, he played with Richie and Kasha against the Coyotes. So, like, you know Getzlaff and Steele are going to be the top two centers, and then Kasha and Raquel are going to be floating around the top six. And, uh, like, all four are pretty decent bets for production. Steele, like, you're hoping he shows he's ready, uh, but Getzlaff, Kasha, and Raquel, I'm still pretty happy to have on my roster. Steele is, like, my fourth duck picked, then Silverberg, uh, but I'm probably not picking Silverberg. 
Right, of course. Because you hate him so much. Okay. I used to love him. Yeah, now you hate him. Well, that's what happens. You, we, we hate the ones who we used to love, like, more than anyone, right? I'm surprised <laughs> that you just got a poster of Steve Mason and Eddie Lack after they let you down so badly. Uh, I still love them. Okay. Uh, so Calgary, uh, there was a tweet. You know, they'd be good if they had the right opportunity. Of course, of course. Yeah, Eddie Lack never got any opportunities. <laughs> uh, so the, I found a tweet from Derek Willis on Friday. Quote, this is one of my, like, gems, right? This is a quote, a coach quote. Uh, Bill Peters just told us that experimenting with Elias Lindholm at center is probably not going to happen in preseason. Expect him to stay on right wing with Sean Monaghan and Johnny Gaudreau. So there you go. Probably not much notable going to change with the Calgary forwards, I'd predict, like, for next season. Seems like they're going to go with the same group that they went last year. I guess there'll probably be some person that's jumping in on the line with Backland and Kachuk. You know, that that spot obviously isn't set. But seems like, according to Bill Peters, Lindholm, Monaghan, Gaudreau, line one to start the season. So there you go. I'm not going to change any of my Calgary projections. I wasn't expecting to, but, you know, you always get a little nervous because it's such a valuable top-line spot, and Lindholm did struggle at the end of last season. The tweet says that Bill Peters just told us that experimenting with Elias Lindholm at center is probably not going to happen in preseason. Does this mean that it could happen during the regular season? Like, is the experiment maybe still on? Can we never get news about Elias Lindholm that is just going to help us feel settled and comfortable. It would be so nice to just think, oh yeah, okay, the Flames want Lindholm on the top line. That's going to stick and uh, they'll figure out their second line at some point. Uh, but we never get that. So uh, Lindholm remains a top tilter for 2019-20 who uh, I'd rather not have on my own roster and like have to constantly worry about him. And even Elon, I wonder what you think of this. You know, there there is the school of thought. If he does start on the top line, uh, then he's a great fantasy asset. If he gets off to a great start, then you can trade him. But I feel like he's marked. Like everybody knows the downside is there, and that you wouldn't even get great value back for him. So uh, I'm not even like willing to take that much of a chance on him. Yeah. Well, first of all, like obviously the coach isn't going to say we're never going to experiment with Lindholm <laughs> d- during the whole season. Like, well, he specified in preseason. Season. Well, I'm assuming the point of the preseason is to come up with a plan for the regular season. So that means if he's not going to experiment with it in the preseason, that means that's his plan for going into the season. I think you might be reading too much into those two words. Uh, you project. I also w- want to be clear. Like, I still think Lindholm could have a really great season. Yeah, tell everyone what I projected. Yeah, you were high. Like, I wasn't even going to mention this. But since you say how nervous you are about him, like, I projected him for 70. You went 75. Do you want to just join me at 70 and feel better about yourself? No, I think he's going to get 75 points. I think it's just going to be a painful ride, and there's some huge downside there. Uh, did I give him my volatility marker? Yes, I did. So it's 75 with a volatility marker. Okay. Then yeah. in Nets, uh, so this is obviously one of those situations where we, we have no idea what's going to happen. I know you said Riddick. Uh, Riddick has been fine in the games he's played. Cam Talbot played half a game and led in three goals on nine Canuck shots. But the Flames are playing today against Winnipeg, and Talbot has so far stopped 16 of 17 shots. So he's having a good game. So I feel like it's still totally up in the air. I don't think it's settled. Like you said, with the last goalie conversation we have, you'll have to wait and see what happens for the couple of games at the end of the preseason before we'll even be able to accurately project who's going to be starting game one one for Calgary. I still think it's up in the air. I think you are more confident. And a lot of people, I think I'm like sort of in the minority here thinking that Cam Talbot still has a shot to be the starter. You are. I think he has the shot to be the starter. I don't think that shot is going to come opening night. I think it's going to be Big Save Dave, and it's Big Save Dave's job to lose, which could very well happen. And I could see them sharing the net through the season. But if you're looking for the Calgary opening night starter, I still feel pretty comfortable in saying it's going to be Riddick. 
Yeah, and uh, maybe it's not so impressive to be doing well against this Winnipeg team that is without, like, so many players at this point. But again, I'm teasing. We'll talk about them at the end. Uh, Jack Roslovich Roslovich has a goal in this game so far. The only guy who's been able to beat Cam Talbot. Uh, So let's go to Cam Talbot's former team, the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, So their practice lines from a few days ago had Dreisaitl with McDavid and Zach Cassian, and then Nygaard with Ryan Nugent Hopkins and James Neal. So obviously when we heard that James Neal went to Edmonton, the main excitement was oh wow what if he gets to play with McDavid and Dreisaitl uh so that's not happening so far but still playing on the second line with RNH nothing to sneeze at I guess I projected him at 45 I'm tempted to bring him down to like 40 maybe I don't know I was hoping that he'll get a crack on line one doesn't seem to be happening like what do you think about James Neal you weren't into him before so I'm assuming you're just still gonna be not into him yeah exactly I'm not going to be into him uh I just don't, I, you know, I never saw him getting that shot that you thought he would get. Uh, you did sort of talk me into buying into him. Like, I had him at 45. And I don't think that him not being on the top line right now means he's not going to get a crack. Uh, it, like, it's not any less likely because of these preseason lines that James Neal gets a shot playing alongside McDavid. But uh, I, this is another case where your optimism sort of made me, you know, like, lifted my projection. And uh, with... Absent that, it's going to to sink a little. So I'll put him down at 40. And, like, his downside is awful, right? It's, like, 20 points. I mean, is it? Because I still feel like he's one of the better forwards, which isn't hard to do. Like, I think he's one of the top six forwards on Edmonton. I think he has a good chance to stick in the top six. I'll I'll go 44. I'll go one less than I had in the Almanac. But, okay, uh, then I'll, I'll join you at 44. <laughs> okay, fair enough. All right. This and is then, a very scientific projection process for me on James Neal. What does Elon think? <laughs> to be fair, you already did all the research in the Almanac, and now this is like little tweaks at the end based on these minuscule news items that we're having to feast on because it's all we have right now. Uh, by the way, Miko Koskinen looking pretty weak in his first two preseason games. Uh, six goals against on 43 shots so far. That's an 860 save percentage. Mike Smith has been ill, so he hasn't played yet. Uh, Brian, we have Koskinen in Tier 7 and Mike Smith in Tier 10. I feel like they should be in the same tier. Like, I think Miko Koskinen sucks, actually. And the more games I see out of him, the more I think so. I don't think he's going to be the starter. And I think, I think he's going to be really bad. I'm very worried about this guy. I think you're right that we might have Koskinen in the wrong tier. Right now we have him with Carter Hutton, Darcy Kemper. How'd you let me do that? I feel like Darcy Kemper is more like a tier six player, uh, like at this point. Anton Hudobin, probably also a tier sixer. They're both behind Cam Talbot. This tier six, seven split is, uh, has not aged well with, uh, with what I've been reading and seeing since we made our goalie tiers. Uh, I mean, if you're looking this low, there's not a whole lot to pick from between them anyway, but I agree with you that maybe they should be closer. Um, but instead of Smith coming up to Koskinen's tier, it's Koskinen going uh, down. I, I think Koskinen's advantage over Mike Smith is that he still uh, could be the heavy volume guy and he doesn't have the same injury concerns as Mike Smith. So let's see how it plays out, but I would still have Koskinen maybe just a tier above Smith because of those injury concerns, but I agree with you that he is a bad goalie, and that's sort of why we had him alongside Carter Hutton, right? It's like like a few of these guys together make sense, and a couple other of them, like Kemper and uh, Hudobin make sense together, and then Koskinen, Hutton, Craig Anderson make sense together, but all five together, weird, huh? Okay. 
Okay. Well, no one knows, like, no one's looking at this like you, so I don't know how great this content is for you just naming <laughs> random goalies. Uh, I think Koskinen kind of might be a bad goalie, and I think Mike Smith is a decent average goalie. So I would actually draft Mike Smith ahead of Koskinen at this point. I'm very concerned. Uh, Caleb Jones, by the way. Oh, wait, no. Okay, so let's go to D. Uh, I'll get to Caleb Jones in a second. He was sent to the minors. I, I don't want to, like, tease this Caleb Jones piece of news. I just thought it was funny because you talked about him last week as being, like, ranked too low by Yahoo and they must hate the Oilers, and then he got sent down right away. Uh, but first, by the way, I'm going to lower my 43-point uh, Darnell Nurse projection, since he's not on the top power play. He, he was playing on the top power play last season. Obviously, I put him at 43 because I thought maybe he'd get a shot, but like we said last week, Oscar Clefbaum has been up there. So I don't know if I'm going to change my Clefbaum projection because he still concerns me, and we actually I have him, like, fine. Like, I have him at 40 points. You have him at 45, so I'm good to keep uh, Clefbaum at 40, but... Uh, no, I'll move him up also. Why not? So I'll join you, sort of. I'll go 44 for Clefbaum just because it's fun to be a little lower than you on Clefbaum. But I'm going to move Nurse from like 43 down to 37. So. Ugh, after all that, I just want to now listen to you talking about Darnell Nurse in our almanac and then smoke a cigarette afterwards. <laughs> wow. Okay. I don't smoke cigarettes. An yeah. e-cig? A jo- I would do none of those things. Of course. Brian is They're straight-laced. all dangerous. Don't do it. No one should definitely okay uh caleb jones sent down after you talked about him last week i think we should just replace his projection with this guy joel pearson who's getting good play we, we've had a, all of our guests mention him he's getting good play in the preseason at over 21 and a half minutes per game in his two games he's played so far he had two assists versus winnipeg back on the 16th i projected 28 for jones you projected 20 for caleb jones why don't we just both do 28 for joel pearson i think that's like more than reasonable <laughs> When we say Caleb Jones, we really mean Caleb Jones or Joel Pearson or Evan Bouchard or Ethan Bear. So, like, all these guys who may or may not get a shot at some point. So, I will join you, Elon. We can just change the name in our projections. But do you want to move your number from 20 to 28 or do you want to keep it at 20? Uh, Okay. Uh, 27. Okay. <laughs> 27. <laughs> fine. Okay. Let me just put that in and let's go to... Actually, you know what? Before... Oh, I had something set up really nice for our ad. Okay. I'm going to skip a team, a few teams here. Let's go to the end of the Pacific Division and talk about the Vegas Golden Knights, uh, who I don't have that much to say about, but Max Pacioretty has had a couple good preseason games. He had three goals and an assist versus Arizona on the 15th, one goal and two assists versus San Jose yesterday. So this is a guy... Max Pacioretty used to be an all-star in the league a perennial 65 point guy uh last year kind of stunk and our projections went according to that clearly because we projected him for 53 and 55 points after his up and down 50 point pace season last year i'm liking what i'm seeing so far in the preseason i obviously like the fact that this year he's going to probably be playing with mark stone the whole time so i wonder if maybe we're a little low i might go like closer to like 56 like i'm not saying to go crazy about max patch but i think maybe especially my 53 point projection i think is too low very nice that Max Petretti scored uh, three goals and an assist versus Arizona on the 15th of September. Call me when Petretti does it on the 15th of any month between October and April. I'm staring where I am, Elon. Like, I didn't even know if you were going to tell me you wanted to go higher or lower than your 53. I was already a little higher at 55 on Petretti than you. So are you going to go even higher than me? I'll go 56. Yeah, I'll go higher wow. than you. Wow. Yeah. I, I'm, I mean, again, like... It feels like a little flippant or frivolous to be changing our projections all willy-nilly and just like sort of it sounds on whim, uh, but we did do our our, like very detailed research in the almanac. So like our starting numbers are are very meaningful. uh, So and I feel very confident that nothing in my opinion at all has changed about Max Pacioretty between then and now. 
That is fair. And of course, speaking of Max Pacioretty, he plays for the Vegas Golden Knights. And what do you do in Vegas? You play some bets. But sometimes you can't get to Vegas. And what if you still want to bet on some sports? Because another fun thing about the season starting, like obviously it's fun to watch games just because you love watching hockey. It's fun to watch games when you're playing fantasy and you have players to cheer for. But sometimes maybe to get that extra jolt of excitement, you could place a couple bucks down on the game and get a chance to win some real money if you think you know what's going to happen. And if you want to do that i would recommend our second sponsor for this week's episode a new sponsor of keeping carlson those are our new friends at mybookie.ag no one gives you more ways to win than they do they've got the fastest payouts and better lines than any other sports book brian do you know by the way we need to do like a lesson here when they say better lines that doesn't mean like lines like in hockey like the the you know like first line second line they're talking about like betting lines like the odds you're gonna get mybookie.ag they're gonna give you better lines so that's that's good There are lots of lines they could be talking about. I mean, that's their whole business, right? Don't forget, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. And mybookie.ag is the best in the business. It's where I play. It's where you should too, Brian. You know how every year I like to place a bet on who I think is going to win the Stanley Cup? And uh, I already did place a bet on the Devils. I'm looking at the current uh, cup odds on mybookie.ag. I've sent you a screenshot, Brian. What do you think is like the best value here? Like if you wanted to place like 20 bucks on one of these teams to win the cup. Uh, I don't know. I can tell you Tampa Bay's like at around like seven to one odds as like the lowest that you can get, the lowest return that you can get. And then all the way on the other end, we've got like 300, I think, to one odds on the Ottawa Senators if you want to bet on them to win the cup. Uh, Any of these bets looking to you like a a smart bet? I'm happy with New Jersey, by the way, 30 to one with uh, Taylor Hall, Gusev, Heashear, Hughes. If Schneider could hold up, I like I like them. PK Subban. That's a pretty good bet. Uh, I'm looking down the list here, and I like Carolina at twenty to one. That looks pretty good to me. Those are the same odds uh, to win the cup as Florida, and I like uh, Carolina a fair bit more than Florida to win the cup. You've also got Pittsburgh at twenty six to one, Washington at twenty eight to one. I guess I'm liking the Metropolitan Division uh, as having a few good candidates to come up under the radar and uh, and and challenge for the cup. So there you go. Well, if you want to place any of these bets, you can do so. Again, that is at mybookie.ag. And if you use promo code Keeping Carlson when you sign up, you're going to get an offer that they're going to double your first deposit. How about that? Double! You bet, you put in 50 bucks, they're going to give you 50 bucks so you could get a, fee- a free $50 bet <laughs> on one of these teams if you want. So that again, uh, visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. Yeah, ideally, right? So, uh, so just please, uh, please play responsibly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, don't bet more than you can afford. I, I think that's the obvious gambling tip. Uh, I was really annoyed last year when my bet of San Jose to win the cup didn't pay off, but I still was able to like eat dinner that night. So it was more just annoyance <laughs> and not like an actual life event for me. Okay, so I skipped over to Vegas just so that I could do that amazing segue. So now let's go back to we finished Edmonton. So let's talk about the LA Kings. Uh, I don't know. There's nothing really to say here. Like, some teams, I feel like there's a lot of news coming out. Maybe we're just not following the right people on Twitter. So if you're a fan of one of these teams that we're not talking about, and you think there has actually been really interesting news, then tweet at us and let us know and tell us some people that we should follow. So we'll see it. Uh, LA, uh, one thing that just jumped out at me, like, why do I have uh, Ilya Kovalchuk at 55 points? I-, I feel like that's a bit high. He's not projected to be on the top line. I've been seeing, like, Brown, Kopitar, and Ayafalo. I think I'm going to switch to 50 for Kovalchuk. I don't know, Brian, like, why do I do these things? You're at 53. Sometimes I feel like I just get too excited. Usually you're the one who gets too excited about these older players. I don't know why I'm so, like, captivated by Ilya Kovalchuk at this point. 
Well, you really liked his start last year, and you like that he'll have a new coach, and you liked, you said new coach, new Kovey, <laughs> and I, the hope is still there. I am going to hold my projection at 53. I still expect Kovalchuk to be a threat on the top power play, and don't forget his center, Jeff Carter. Oh, yeah. And we already bumped down his projections on the last episode, or a couple episodes ago, and we were talking about realizing we were way too high, and the fantasy hockey podcast guys were making fun of us. Okay, so let's go to San Jose. I saw a tweet from Kevin Kurz yesterday saying, looks like Evander Kane is getting the first chance to replace Joe Pavelski on the top power play unit, at least in practice right now. Others are Carlson, Burns, Couture, and Hurdle. So to me, I'm noticing LeBanc and Timo Meyer notably absent from that list. So obviously, who knows if Kane will stay there, but this makes him all the more valuable in Bangers. Like, he was already valuable before we projected him for around 60 points, which already made him super valuable in Bangers Leagues with all of his shots and all of his hits. And now if there's even a shot at top power play, even if you're probably going to say, Brian, like, who knows what will happen, but just the fact that they're even trying him there already makes me a little more excited about Evander Kane. Not that I'm going to raise his projection, just makes me more confident in it. Uh, the one thing I might change, though, are Timo Meyer projections. Looking a little crazy to me. I have him at 74. You have him at 80. I feel like even like higher than 70 might be too high for someone not guaranteed to be on the top power play. And we were all just we were just kind of assuming that Meyer's the next in line for the top power play. He's never actually like been there, right? I am not changing my mind on Timo Meyer. I'm pretty high on him, nor am I going to change my mind on Evander Kane. Elon, you left out a critical part of the tweet again like you did about Lindholm uh, we got to read the whole thing I did I and said that thing about Lindholm that it said in the preseason don't say I left it out I just didn't well, maybe you, emphasize you it you buried it it wasn't it wasn't <laughs> wasn't audible I didn't notice what it. do you think my motivations are here Brian you think I'm just trying to like make things up to fool people I know you just get excited and you forget to read the rest of the tweet <laughs> so this tweet goes looks like Evander Kane is getting the first chance to replace Joe Pavelski on the top power play unit which is where you stopped but after it there's a comma and then it says, at least in practice right now. Yeah. So we're talking preseason practice. Did you listen to what I said? I literally already gave the caveat. I said that I was already excited. I said, first of all, I'm not changing. I don't think you were listening. You're talk- I- you're, you're t- I'm- okay, so fine. Let me reemphasize then because you're saying if he's already getting a look, that he's not getting a look. He is. He's but, literally getting a look. They're trying him there to see how he does. That's what it looks maybe, means. Maybe Timo Meyer or Kevin LeBanc like, needed to go get a drink. All right. I didn't. I also said I'm not changing my Evander Kane projection. I just said Good. it makes me more excited about him to to hit that my 61 point projection. And then I asked you, <laughs> Timo Meyer, you've got it 80 points. I have him at 74. Not changing it. Okay, I'm going to go down to 70, which is still really great. But uh, this guy's not guaranteed top power play. He didn't even get a look yet. So. No, and and even if Meyer like is on the top power play at least half the time, I think he's going to be fine. I I acknowledge that I could miss on 80, but. I don't think I'm going to miss by much. Like, I see him getting at least 75 points this year. Actually, Elon, I'm curious, based on, you know, all these preseason bombshells that we're seeing, uh, who do you like between Timo Meyer and Jake Gensel, both of whom we were hoping for big top power play deployment bumps this season? And according to practice lines and preseason games, uh, neither of them are going to be there to start the year. (laughs) Uh, first of all, when you said bombshells, I assume you were making fun of me. Like, I'm, I try- was. I'm trying to put out an episode here, Brian, of, of interesting content, okay? If you want to just rank our top 50, like, left wings in bangers leagues, we can do that as an episode. I thought this might I be more this, interesting. I think this week we should have just read all of our projections one after another, and after each one said, it hasn't changed. <laughs> okay, uh, I... I already said that I was moving my Gensel projection down from 80 to 75, 
But I also said I'm moving my Timo Meyer projection down from 74 to 70. So that makes me higher on Jake Gensel than Timo Meyer by five points. Okay. Is that fair? Cool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, for sure. I like. I st- I'm not down at all on either one based on this preseason news. I I appreciate though, Elon. You're right. You're creating this episode. I'm so glad. I mean, th- these people are tweeting this stuff, and I just want to share it with the listeners, and we could all decide if we want to read into it or not. It's right. That's it. It's valuable news. They're all data points. Just remember exactly where they're coming from. But we we have to acknowledge what's happening. And you know, what? maybe you'll be right. I'm not, Maybe I'll, I'll be such a fool for ignoring these signs. I'm not saying... I'm in total agreement with you, Brian. I think <laughs> that you're overestimating how much I care. I'm just saying that uh, Timo Meyer's not guaranteed to be on the top power play, so I'm not going to project him for more than 70 points. Okay, Vancouver Canucks. Okay, this is where... This is, like, I think the most exciting team right now. Canucks Twitter is popping. Like, I almost feel like I want to be a Canucks fan just from reading all about all these people so excited about Vancouver. So first of all, uh, Brendan Batchelor tweeted out practice lines yesterday. Who? Okay, a guy, just don't worry about it, Brian, okay? He's a day-to-day, uh, play-by-play guy, okay? <laughs> he's verified. He's not even verified. Well, neither are we, <laughs> so I don't know how much that's worth. Also, play-by-play guys, like, they don't usually ask questions, So right? do you think that he was, okay, I'm, what, I didn't even read the tweet yet. I'm going to be, his tweet is what he saw with his eyes as practice lines. Are you saying he ma- made this up? I'm just saying, no, I'm saying he probably saw it and then, like, continued eating a donut. Okay, that, what do other... <laughs> Yeah, but Aaron Port's line, when he sees practice lines, he, like, goes to the coach and he's like, am I... He's am in I- the locker room. He's asking questions. No donuts for Aaron Port's line. Okay. <laughs> he, might, he might eat donuts along the way. I should have said Thomas Drance, because he's a beat writer for uh, Vancouver also. Okay, so, Brendan Batchelor tweeted out practice lines yesterday. Levo, Levo with Pedersen and Besser. But then I tweeted at Brendan Batchelor and asked him who he expects to be on the top line to start the season. And he said, Furland. He said, I think he would have been there tonight, but he's sick. So uh, and this isn't the only person, right? I'm just like referencing this tweet. A lot of people have been saying that they think Furland is going to be on the top line. So that's interesting to me. Then, okay, that's, so that's the first thing that I think is interesting. <laughs> Especially because I think in the Almanac, we were talking a lot about JT Miller. We were like assuming he was going to be the guy who was going to be top line with Pedersen and Besser doesn't seem to be the case. I've even been seeing some, like, projected lines with JT Miller on the third line, like, third line center. So, like, not even with Horvat. Yeek. Oh, that would not be good for JT Miller. So I'm a lot more now excited about Furland than JT Miller as of now, anyways. Okay, then check out this crazy Thomas Drance tweet. Canucks power play one setup. Pedersen and Besser on their one-timer sides on the flank. Levo bumper. Hughes up top. That's Quinn Hughes. And then JT Miller net front. And then power play two setup. Myers and Horvat on the flanks. One-timer side. Goldobin or Berchi at the bumper. Edler on top and Tanner Pearson net front. Uh, then I tweeted at him and I asked if he expects Hughes to be on the top power play and Edler on the second power play to start the season. And he answered saying yes. That is what he expects. And Thomas Drance, Brian, I believe he's, like, verified on Twitter. So that must be someone who knows what he's talking about. Very, very interesting, right? I think we were assuming that it was going to be Edler at least to start the season. Like, you know, with Buffalo last year, it was Ristolainen on the top power play to start the season, and eventually Dallin took over. Looks like maybe the Canucks are just going to go Quinn Hughes right at the start. And also, Bo Horvat? On the second power play? Crazy. And I, we were talking about this in our Facebook group, and I believe it was Ben who said that he saw a quote from the coach saying, like, he's hoping that no one will even be able to tell what's the first power play and what's the second power play, so maybe Vancouver's going for, like, an even two power play units thing, which would be bad for everyone's fantasy value, right, that we expect it to be on the top power play. So a lot of intrigue in Vancouver right now. Uh, so do you want to comment on all that, or should I just go to all the... I feel like there's a lot of projections that I want to ask you about now on the Canucks with all this news. 
Okay, well, how about you do that, and then we'll we'll, we'll do that. Okay, I'll do that. So, uh, Bo Horvat, if he's going to be on the second power play, uh, we projected 63 points for him. I... I'm going to stay at 63. Me too. I don't think think there's anything to Bo Horvat not being on the top unit. Come on. Yeah, plus Bo Horvat had a really good preseason game. He had like three points in a game, I believe. (laughs) Oh, well, now it's settled. Okay. Uh, JT Miller, I projected 58. You projected 54. I'm pretty sure I'm going to go down. I might go all the way to 50, actually. Huh. Like this, like, so we think JT Miller is a good player and we think there's a chance he ends up in the top six with either Pedersen or Horvat. And in that situation, yeah, I could see him being in the the low to mid fifties, but he seems to be more and more looking like he could be a third line center. So I am going to take my 54 point projection. Like you went from 58 to 52. I'll just join you at 52 from 54. Yeah, I said 50, but then I wrote down 52. So yeah, I think that that's fair. He could be lower. I'm, I'm not looking to draft JT Miller, to be honest. I'm hoping some excited Canucks fan will, like, you know, in an auction draft, just, like, bid him up early. Maybe I'll throw him out, like, as my first player in the auction draft and hope he goes for more than a dollar, because I don't think I'd spend more than a dollar. And in a snake draft, yeah, I, I, I'm not too interested. Okay, Michael Furland. Uh, don't forget that's Michael spelled E-A-L for some reason, because his parents messed up. Uh, so Furland, uh, I haven't... It's true. Uh, maybe so, he's named after like his grandfather, okay, Michael. So, so then his great grandfather messed up. Or maybe that's how it was spelled in their family. Perhaps. So uh, I projected him fifty three. You projected him fifty. I'm good to stick. I think at fifty three, but like definitely huge upside if he's going to be on the top line. And he also hits. So in certain leagues, he gets like a lot more exciting with his upside. But I guess fifty three is probably fine for me. His upside is. Great. I like I always go back when we're talking about Michael Furland to the fact that he played full seasons with Gaudron Monahan and did not put up a fancy relevant pace from that spot. Like he was a good streamer and that's all. So I'm just gonna stay put at fifty points, even though I do expect him to be on the top line or at worst top six. Yes. Yeah, so don't forget these are these projections are like season projections. In a lot of fantasy leagues, you're gonna wanna pick up players that you expect to be in a good spot in the moment, you know, with the ex- expectation that you'll drop them if something changes. So like Furland's the kind of guy who like I'm not gonna go and give him like a seventy point projection, obviously, but also I don't think I'm gonna leave him in free agency in any of my leagues that count hits. Like if he's available for me on opening day i'm gonna grab him if he's on the top line if nothing has changed and then i'll hold him until he either isn't doing anything or if he gets bumped from that line and there's a lot of players like that like alex texier like same thing like i'm not saying that you should go crazy about him and expect him to have like a rookie of the year season but also uh he might be worth owning at the start for as long as he's playing you know on the columbus top line so same thing okay now let's go to the defenseman i had edler at 45 and you had Edler at 49, and I had Quinn Hughes at 40, and you had him at 35. So I think I'm still good. Like, I'm good to keep Edler around 45 and Quinn Hughes at 40. Maybe I'd even move Quinn Hughes up a little bit. Uh, You're, like, way different on them, right? Like, you have Edler 49 and Quinn Hughes 35, and Quinn Hughes might be the top power play guy. Yeah, I was expecting Hughes to come out of preseason as maybe the top guy who still could very well stumble, but seeing the Canucks seeming to try and commit to him this early makes me wonder if, yeah, maybe he is going to be the top power play quarterback, especially because we know Alex Edler is going to get injured at some point. So instead of at that point, the Canucks are like, okay, Quinn Hughes, you're the guy. Uh, Let's figure things out on the fly. Why wouldn't they just be like, okay, well, Edler's going to miss like 20 games this season. Uh, Let's 
get the learning curve over with outside of real games and you just start the season on the top power play how about that so i'm going to move quinn hughes uh, above yeah 35 is pretty paltry uh looking now uh, you know like there's a 15 point gap between my hughes and edler and it can't be that big a gap right uh you know i look to previous examples i see ristolainen and Darlene were one point apart last year i'm not sold on hughes the same way i am on Darlene, but i'm going to help uh, bridge the gap between Edler and Hughes. So I'll go, I'll give, Ed, uh, sorry, I'll give Hughes uh, 41 points and I'll give Edler 42 points. Okay. Just because I don't know that I have a good reason. I'm I'm really struggling with figuring out this Edler-Hughes situation. I'll be honest. I kind of just feel like they're both good. Like I, I like Edler at 45 still, like I'm happy to leave him there, but I think Quinn Hughes is just like, you know, has some upside too, but I think Edler's still going to play a lot and uh, we'll see what happens. So, okay, it sounds like we're both pretty close on both of these guys now. So that's fun. Again, in agreement probably makes me more confident in these projections. Obviously, some people will get excited and just reach for Quinn Hughes. You could go for that. Uh, I'm not going to, like, take him as, like, a 50-point defenseman. You know, if I'm deciding between Quinn Hughes and, like, I don't know what's the name, like, Jacob Truba or something, you know, someone who I'm, like, more confident in that we've seen, like, great stuff already before, at least for this season, give me the more established guy. All right, so now we are through... That division, we're going to the Atlantic. Let's go to Boston. How about this, Brian? Is this a verified enough account for you? The Boston Bruins official Twitter account tweeted out practice lines yesterday. Why can't all teams just do that? Then we don't even have to check the credentials of these beat writers. But then some of these people would be out of a job, so that wouldn't be good. Do do these beat writers get paid to tweet out practice lines? How do they get paid? Well, it's part of their job, right? They get paid an annual salary to do the job of writing about the team. And as part of that job, one of those duties is to go to practice. Ooh, I w- but like, is tweeting a part of it? It must be at this point that like, their boss probably says, I want tweets of every practice line and, and your interviews and quotes and all that. It can't just be articles, right? It must, it's all bit, like, to me, like, tweets are more important than articles. I'm not even going to read these articles. I'll just read the headlines <laughs> and then I'm going to read all the tweets. Okay. Uh, good to know journalism is alive and well. Yeah, so uh, Brad Marchand, Pasternak, Bergeron, top line, no surprise there. And then DeBrusque, Krejci, and Charlie Coyle uh, for the second line. And then Danton Heinen way down on the fourth line. I projected Danton Heinen for 40 points while you went 35. Uh, so I'm going to join you now with Heinen at 35 if he's going to be a you know bottom line guy. Like last year, he had stretches on the top line even when one of like Bergeron or Pasternak were injured. Uh, so anyway, he's a guy to remember, but definitely not worth drafting. And Charlie Coyle... I don't know. Maybe we're a little low on him. We both had him for 38 points. If he's going to be on the second line with Krejci and DeBrusque, he had pace for 42 or higher points in his previous three seasons before last year when he went from Minnesota to Boston halfway through, uh, including a 56-point season in 2016-17. So, yeah, I think I'm going to bump Coyle up at least to his, like, 42 points uh, from 15-16. Like, Krejci's really good. So I feel like you should at least be able to get 42 points if you're playing with him. And this is the Boston Bruins official Twitter account, so they can't be lying about these lines. <laughs> I well they, you know there's not even a name we don't even know who's tweeting it so we really can't verify the authenticity of what the Boston Bruins are tweeting maybe it's to throw off some opponents I, you can't <laughs> trust you need to know these things we need independent journalism to uh to tell us for sure okay Charlie Coyle uh yeah I'll bump him up a little 
it's like he's got this thing going for him in Boston where there's like no intra-squad competition for that second line right wing spot. Uh, Carson Kuhlman is the other guy in the picture um, who we mentioned briefly in the Almanac. Uh, this will be, assuming he makes the team and all indications are he will, uh, it'll be his first full season in the NHL. Uh, he's a college graduate and he played with Providence last season, picking up 30 points in 58 games in his first year pro and also five points in 11 games with Boston in the regular season, three more in eight games during the playoffs. Uh, like, so I could see Coleman and Coyle sort of trading places through the year. I don't think either one is terribly well suited for a second line role, like to try and supplement some secondary scoring. Uh, I'm going to put Charlie Coyle a touch above 40. So I'll bump him up to 41. And I think we should have have at least projected Carson Coleman uh, or KK as his friends call him. So I'm going to put him at like 34. Okay, well, I don't have a spot for him now, so you'll have to remind me to do that later because I don't have anywhere to put this Carson Kuhlman projection. I don't care about him. If you're saying 34, then forget it. We Don't don't worry, Brian. No one's going to get mad at us for missing a 34-point projection. Uh, Charlie Coyle, okay, like you say that he's not suited. Like like I said, he had 56 points just a couple years ago, so he does have some offensive pedigree. I believe, if I recall correctly, in the early days of keeping Carlson, you were a Charlie Coyle fan, but obviously those days are long past us now. Okay, let's go to Buffalo. Kind of like Vancouver. I've been like very interested intrigued by all the Buffalo lines we've been seeing. And these are not only like practice lines, these are in games. Uh, Yesterday, Jimmy Vesey was on the top line with Eichel and Reinhardt in the 5-3 win over Toronto, and VC scored a goal. By the way, in this game, uh, Eichel two assists, Reinhardt one goal and two assists, so that top line looked really good. Uh, Then there was another line with Jeff Skinner, Evan Rodriguez, and Dylan Cousins. And Jess Skinner, only one shot on goal, only 12 minutes and 47 seconds of ice time. And I know, Brian, you're like, these are spending way too much time talking about a preseason game. But just to let you know, uh, Jeff Skinner wasn't on the top line, wasn't being used much in the line he was on. Then there's also this other guy who we mentioned last week, Victor Olafsson, who's in the picture. Yesterday, he was on this line with uh, Marcus Johansson and a guy named Rasmus Asplund. But Olafsson was on the top power play with Eichel, Reinhardt, Skinner, and Dahlin. And Olafsson had himself a game, two goals. One of them on the power play. Uh, he And his even strength goal was assisted by Sam Reinhardt. So I don't know if maybe he got up on a different line for that goal. I didn't watch the game. Brian, are you surprised I didn't watch the Buffalo-Toronto preseason game? I blew it. I actually was at a comedy show. I saw John Mulaney yesterday while this was happening. It was a lot of fun. Uh, anyways, okay. So here are my takeaways, and then I'll throw it to you. First of all, I'm not feeling too great about my 70-point Jeff Skinner projections. It, like, seems, like, too risky. 70 is a lot. Like, I don't even think he's hit 70 before. Like, he had a 63-point pace last year, and we were, like, bumping him so much higher. Now we've got two names in Olafson and Jimmy Vesey, who seem to be getting shots on the top line with Eichel and Reinhardt at different times. So I'm not, like, super down on Skinner, but I'm not going to project 70. Like, I feel like I will match his 63-point pace from last year and just expect him to do that again. And then uh, we didn't even project Jimmy VC. So obviously, I think we have to at least throw down a number. for. If you want to throw down a number for Carson Kuhlman, I feel like we should probably project a number for Jimmy VC, who has been playing on the top line in the last game. Uh, and then also Victor Olafson. I went 50, you went 45. Or no, you went 50 and I went 45. So I'll join you for Olafson at 50. And then uh, what do you think about all three of these guys? 
I'm not at all put off about Jeff Skinner. Uh, yes, he had a 63-point pace last season. This season, uh, he's got Darlene, who's another year better. Eichel, who's another year better. Like, I think Skinner has a shot at, like, 70 points would be the first time in his career, but I think he's got it. Uh, he's an elite shooter, very dangerous goal scorer, uh, and I really like his chances. Like, I think there's upside beyond 70. I think he could hit 75, so 63 cool. sounds very low about Jeff Skinner, uh, who I know you're upset he didn't play 13 minutes in a preseason game. No, but so um, what do you think about all these lines? I was like, Buffalo, he was in the game. I don't think anything of them. He's going to play with Jack Eichel. You're, you're positive. Like, what makes you so confident? Positive. Okay. Who else would? It Jimmy works VC so well. or Victor Olafson. Oh, yeah. Jimmy VC is going to step in for Jeff Skinner. Come on. Like, we've seen Jimmy VC go on short runs as a ranger, and people are like, oh, like, this, Jimmy VC's finally arrived. But he's not an offensive kind of guy. Uh, he'll be someone who just hangs around on the top line, and by virtue, uh, when he has that opportunity, uh, he'll be able to pick up a few points here and there, put up a couple streaks. But this is a guy who is a half-point-per-game player, in the best of times. So, no, I'm not interested in Jimmy VC. Victor Olofsson, I'm very interested in, and I would love for him to get a top-line role. Um, I don't know if it's going to happen. Even on the second-line top power play will work out just fine for me. So I'm actually really excited about Olofsson as sort of a late-round draft pick in a lot of the drafts that I have coming up. I hope none of my opponents are listening. Uh, Jeff Skinner, though, is still like a no doubter for me i'm not at all worried that he ends up away from eichel okay and so what number we got to put a number for jimmy vc i'm not saying i'm into jimmy vc i'm just saying he'll take maybe 30 some, points 30 i'll go more i'll go 35 well he had 35 last year and that was with a couple nice runs the years before that he had 27 and 28 okay fine 34 okay by the way, there's another guy I haven't mentioned because there's nothing. Connor Sherry, you had him for 40. <laughs> Where's he in these line combos? Nowhere, because he sucks. <laughs> well, that's not how preseason works. If a player isn't in a line combo, that doesn't mean they suck. Okay, I had Connor Sherry for 30, and I'm happy with that. And I'm having VC at 35, and I'm happy with that. And then I have Olafson at 50, and I'm happy with that. And I have Jeff Skinner 63. Happy with that. So okay, I'll take Jeff- Sherry. I'll take Sherry down to 30, 36. Okay, so basically not relevant at all, obviously. <laughs> Should be lower. Okay. I think he's got a much better chance of being relevant than Jimmy VC. You want to do a Sherry versus VC yeah. bet? Yeah. Okay, done. Okay, someone write this down. Right. I thought <laughs> you were writing these down at some point. I, I did, but I lost the notepad on which I was writing them. Okay, well, no one rely on Brian to be your like note taker at a meeting. But we did, we did them. have an almanac listener. I think it was Kevin who noted a bunch of them. I think he got them all. The notepad's probably still around here somewhere. Okay. Uh, yeah, by the way, Matthew in the chat room saying Olafson was killing in the AHL last year. Yeah, we talked all about it in the Buffalo chapter. We're like into Victor Olafson. Especially, it looks like he's uh, going to play on the top power play. Like, he doesn't have to bump Skinner to get on the top power play. He just has to bump Connor Sherry. <laughs> okay. Have we considered the possibility that Olofsson and Skinner could both play on the top line? And Reinhardt? Well, I don't know. We haven't seen that yet, but obviously it's a possibility. But yeah, it's possible. Yeah, so you're just... I mean, they both shoot the same way, so one of them would have to play their off wing. Anyway, it'll be Reinhardt, I hope, and... I'm guessing Skinner. Like, why don't you think Buff... Like, it, there must just be a possibility. I'm not saying that I think that Skinner's, like, worse than these other options, but I just wonder if maybe Buffalo spreads around the offense. Like, teams do that sometimes, and they put a player on a different line to try to spread around your offense. If Jeff Skinner's so good, maybe he doesn't need to play with Eichel and Sam Reinhardt. Maybe they could put VC there just to try to spread things around. That's all I'm saying. Like, to tr- yeah. uh, Dallas does this all the time. We'll see. Of course. I mean, I feel like, the, like, I feel like that's not why they value Jeff Skinner. 
Well, okay, we'll see. Uh, so yeah. Detroit, uh, another player that we didn't project that it's looking like we should have a projection for is a guy named Taro Hirose. He had seven points in 10 games last year with the Wings after coming up at the end of the season, after he had 50 points in 36 games with Michigan State in the NCAA. So he had a great year last year in college. Uh, so far, Taro Hirose having a nice preseason, one goal and three assists in three preseason games so far, including two assists versus the Islanders on Friday. Looks like he was playing with Andreas Athanasiu. Uh, so maybe we've got another, there's already so many, maybe another potential 50-point Detroit forward on our hands in Taro Hirose if he's going to play on the second line. Well, there's only room for so many of these guys. I would love to see Taro Hirose uh, have an impact. I, I don't honestly have a whole lot to say about him, though. I think there's going to be an uphill battle for him to be fantasy relevant. Uh, maybe we should have him projected, though, Elon. And if we did, I'd have him at 40 points. Okay, I'll go 45, actually. I'm a little higher on him. Like, you had... Why? Four- you had Philip Zadina at 40, and now you have Hirose at 40. I had Zadina at 35, and I'll go Hirose at 45, because it just seems like so far in preseason, Hirose is the one who's standing out more. And so I feel like he could be a, yeah, it's not much. 45-point pace for a guy who could play on the second line and looks good. He looked good also at the end of last season. Like, what do you mean, why? I just said so. He had seven points in 10 games last year. He had an amazing season in college. Now he's having an amazing preseason. An amazing season in college rarely translates <laughs> to a successful, like, okay. offensive NHL player. Fine. I, but just like you say why like i just have three reasons good okay uh, uh, minors good uh cup of coffee and now good preseason like what, what am i supposed to what else can he do for me until he actually does it this is what projections are all about right yeah great i'm glad you clarified <laughs> i'm just joking around i hope uh, now i'm getting the sense that you're backing away like i i went too far there hello hello are you there just kidding okay <laughs> uh florida Honestly, I haven't found anything of use out of Florida's camp. Have they even played a game? Like, I don't know. Like, I couldn't... F- or they, they have played games, but I haven't found a game yet with, like, uh, all the main guys we care about. Like, I want to know, like, who's going to be on the top power play? Is Trocek going to be there or not? Like, is Huberdeau still in the top line? I'm not seeing anything about that. So we could just move on, and a Florida fan could tweet at us, or I'll just pay attention. Maybe next week will be the week that we learn more about what's going on in Florida. Uh, sorry. I, I hope so. We all want to know. Yeah, it's a very intriguing team. Maybe you should tweet the official team account. Yeah, or their uh, play-by-play guy. See what he see what he thinks or she. Yeah, good idea. Uh, so Montreal, uh, we've got some good news and some bad news here. The bad is that Paling has a concussion. Paul Byron is also hurt, so that's not good. You never want to see players get hurt in the preseason. The good news is this has maybe opened up an opportunity for Nick Suzuki, who's been playing with Dino and Tatar and has been stealing the show in Montreal. Every Montreal tweet that I see is about Nick freaking Suzuki. He had a power play assist in the win over Ottawa yesterday with five shots on goal. Phil Dino, in a quote to a reporter, said Suzuki is a little magician. And then a tweet from John Liu from this afternoon said Suzuki is making a strong case to stay. So maybe this was a guy we weren't expecting to make the team, but especially if Paling is injured now... I think that uh, Nick Suzuki has a good shot to make the team. This is a guy, by the way, only 20 years old, 2017 13th overall pick who came over in the Pacioretty trade. And uh, yeah, if he's going to play on one of these prominent lines, potentially in the top six, make the team, we got to at least put a number down for him, right? So uh, we didn't project him before, but let's uh, do that right now. So what do you think about Nick Suzuki? If he makes the team, what kind of point pace are you going to expect? Well, we had this argument on the Almanac to say, like, should we give his NHL point pace or should we account for the fact that he might be up and down between the AHL at some point during the year? Uh, So I'm going to put him at like 35 points, assuming that he does, you know, shuttle back and forth a little bit. I think right now Suzuki's probably sitting in first call-up territory. And if he does make the team, he's going to have early send-down potential also. 
you know, I'll wait, I'll wait for another round of cuts to know if Suzuki's going to make the team. Uh, Montreal, there's tons of people who tweet about the Habs, and everybody at this time of year loves to tweet about the prospects. Like, we saw so much about Caulfield during the rookie tournament. Some people saying, oh, is Cole Caulfield going to be NHL ready this year? And then that balloon burst very quickly. So uh, I don't want to jump too far into Suzuki hype, but he's going to be a player one day. I just don't know he's going to have the opportunity this year. I mean, that's what people were saying at around this time last year about Jesperi Kotkaniemi. We saw what happened. He opened the door for 20-year-olds. Well, he was like 18. So if anything, like Suzuki's an old man now if he makes the team. Like, I think it's a very decent chance he'll make the team. I don't think he's going to be first call-up territory. Like, everything I'm reading is that everyone is saying that this guy is going to make the team. Philip Deneau called him a freaking ma- magician. That's a nice compliment. Yeah, magicians just enter right into the NHL. By the way, uh, Gallagher's spot is where Suzuki was. And if Suzuki stays there with Dano and Tatar, uh, I got to take them both down a bit. So I am going to be watching this. And I think, like, it seems as though you read the news, Suzuki's got a good chance of making the team. It's just hype season. So it's really hard to differentiate between, uh, you know, like genuine, like this player's really going to make the team or we really, wouldn't it be exciting if this player made the team? Wouldn't it be magical? Yeah, <laughs> that would be applicable for him. I'll go 45, especially because I don't know what you're saying. Like, we're projecting point pace, right? So you're projecting the pace that he'll have while he is in the NHL. So you think even while he's there, he'll be in a bottom six role if he's going to have only 35 points. Whatever. Who cares? We'll see. Like, he's a guy to have on your watch list for sure if he makes the team and you want to take a shot on him. I still prefer Kotkaniemi for whatever it's worth. But we have to see the Lions. If Kotkaniemi's in the bottom six and Suzuki all of a sudden gets catapulted to play with Dino and Tatar then probably you want Suzuki. So keep your eye on the lines. Let's go to Ottawa now. The team on the other side of the 4 nothing drubbing from the Habs yesterday. That was the Ottawa Senators. Their lines, for their top six was looking like, so Matt, uh, Brady Kachuk, Colin White, Connor Brown. So Connor Brown, top line. Came from Toronto. Uh, then Batherson with Duclair and Pajot. So who knows? I don't know if those, these lines are going to stick. Uh, maybe I'll join you at 35 points for Chris Tierney. I was higher on him, but if he's not going to be in the top six... I don't know why I was... I feel like maybe I was just being argumentative with you when we got to the Ottawa chapter, just to try to make it interesting. Uh, But aside from that, I'm pretty happy with all of our Ottawa projections. And yeah, nice to see Colin White. Like, I was higher on a lot of these guys than you, right? I had Colin White at 50 points. You had him at 45. I have Kachuk at around 60 points. You have him at 55. So uh, yeah, I guess, are you staying the same? Or like, has any of this changed your mind? No, nothing's really changed my mind. I did see Anthony Duclair looking really good in the first preseason game against Toronto that I think they were playing in Newfoundland. Uh, But we both already have him at 45 points, and I don't want to put him much higher than that. Okay, so let's go to Tampa Bay now. Braden Point still unsigned, which makes things very challenging. Uh, the other people are signing. Come on, Braden, just uh, join in the, on the fun. Make some money here. Uh, in the meantime, though, here is a quote from an article by Joe Smith from The Athletic. Uh, While Point mulls the Lightning's three-year, $5.7 million annual average offer, which likely isn't enough, the Lightning have shifted to an interesting plan B. Anthony Sorelli has been centering the top line with Steven Stamkos on his wing, including in the Tuesday's 3-0 loss to Carolina in the preseason opener. So, Brian, uh, if for at least as long as Braden Point is out, if Anthony Sorelli is centering a line with Steven Stamkos, probably someone we want to have our eye on, right? We both projected him for 43 points after a 39-point pace last year, which was only uh, him as a 21-year-old. So now he'll be 22. And it's hard to project him for the full season because we assume Point will sign at some point. But are you any higher on Anthony Sorelli now after this news? I definitely am because there's no way Braden Point 
signs this $5.7 million annual value contract. And like after, especially what Marner did, and that's a, it's a big bridge between that offer from Tampa and what he should probably get paid. Uh, unlikely to see Tampa and Braden Point figure that out in time for opening night, uh, which makes him a great look uh, in a draft for anyone seeking a thrill, but it definitely knocks Braden Point back a couple rounds, maybe more for the rest of us. It's not a great sign that he and the Lightning are this far apart, but it is good news for Anthony Sorelli, uh, who, if he does take Braden Point's place, that's huge. We've been hearing enough about Sorelli, too, and his skill set and upside uh, that I am definitely interested. He could be a great, sneaky, later-round draft pick, or if you've already drafted, maybe you should pop him onto your bench. Just, uh, you know, drop your least, your most easily replaced guy get Sorelli on there because the upside is huge if Braden Point like the longer Point sits out the better things are going to look for Sorelli uh, I'm gonna move Anthony Sorelli my projection for him into the high 40s to start but like I'm looking at him as someone who has upside for 60 points Whoa. and I probably may even prefer him to a bunch of like 50 55 point types if that's where your player pool is essentially bottom bottoming out so yeah drop those guys add Sorelli at least until Braden Point signs okay so give me a number for Sorelli here I'll go 40 I'll go 49 Wow, okay. I'll go like 45. I'm not going to go too crazy for him because who knows if he sticks there, right? It's no guarantee Tampa could change the line in two seconds. We saw JT Miller playing with Stamkos and we saw how long that lasted. Yeah, I guess I'm a, I'm a believer in Sorelli. I think that this is going to last long enough, this contract dispute, for Sorelli to be able to make a mark and like maybe his first half pace or first couple months pace is going to really exceed his later pace. Uh, so he might be a good guy to try and uh, get rid of early on if you do manage to draft him and he catches fire uh, he's not someone you want to be holding the moment that Braden Point does sign a contract yeah so I think I'm like we're putting down numbers for him but obviously the main thing we're just excited about is mentioning him on the podcast so if he does well we could say hey we told you guys to take a look at Anthony Cirelli uh, and, but hopefully if you're a Lightning fan they're probably hoping that you continue to be bad at projecting how long these contract holdouts will last because you said on our Facebook account that like on our Facebook group that you thought that Marner was the least likely to sign before the season started, and then he signed last week. And so now we're in Toronto with, uh, now they have Mitch Marner, but that line isn't complete. Tavares, Marner, Zach Hyman is still injured. Uh, recent news came out that he could miss 14 to 15 games to start the season. So that means Kasperi Kapanen has been getting a shot on the top line, or whatever, one of the top six lines with uh, Tavares and Marner. So that could be great for Kasperi Kapanen. Then the other line has been Matthews, uh, Andreas Janssen and William Nylander on the other main line and that line has stolen the show so far Austin Matthews has four points in two games so far the other two have three points William Nylander could end up being a really good sleeper this year I'm very happy with our 65 and 67 point projections he's just I don't know that's again like Leafs Twitter for what it's worth just as much as Habs Twitter is complimenting Suzuki Leafs Twitter is drooling over William Nylander right now and how good he's looking in the preseason I'll be happy to say, Elon, that we were like, yeah, we already had this projection for Nylander going into camp, not knowing exactly how things were going to shake out. Uh, and it seems like there is already reported chemistry between him and Matthews that we already sensed was going to be there. So I'm very excited to see Nylander uh, likely to stick in the top six or like almost guaranteed, right? He's not moving now. 
Okay, so and then we have Tyson Barry, who was quoted saying he expects Morgan Riley to helm the top power play, just like last year. So, okay, I know you're going to be so mad at me. So, fine, maybe my 60-point projection for Tyson Barry was too high. I know you've been trying to convince me for the past, like, basically for the whole summer. I'm not going to go all the way down to your 50 points, but I'll go to 55 for Tyson Barry. I still think that there's a lot of potential for him to get points in Toronto, but maybe 60 was a bit rich. And also, uh, one last thing, why was I higher than you on Alex Kerfoot? Like, who cares? I don't, like, you went 40, I went 45. I feel like maybe I was just feeling rebellious, so yeah, I'll join you at uh, 40 points for Kerfoot, and I'll go down to 55 for Barry. What do you think of these guys? Just Tyson Barry, that's all? That's all? Like, I, that's all I get in, like, being able to watch you eat crow about being wrong about him starting the season as a top power play guy? Well... Like you were adamant. I wasn't adamant that he would. I said that he has a chance. You said that he was going to be playing ahead of Morgan Radley. I don't think... Okay, find me the receipts on that one. Yeah, I don't, I don't okay, think I, I won't. You. you know I won't. Uh, anyway, I feel somewhat vindicated, though, because it, it seemed... Anyway, whatever. It's not a good look for me to gloat, right? So let's, let's move on from that and go to Kerfoot, who... Um, yeah, you. I think you had this theory when you were really high on him that Nylander was going to be the third line center and Kerfoot was going to enter the top six as a result. Um, but we both agree now that that's not happening, right? Yeah, okay, so that must have been it. Maybe I read yeah. some tweet by some person at that point, and that's the whole point of the show, right? We're going to yeah. give our opinions at the time, and then we will read new tweets and we'll form <laughs> new opinions. We'll only read new tweets. No old tweets, no new articles, just new tweets. Uh, I'm actually going to take Alex Kerfoot down below 40. That even feels high for me. Uh, like, he needed 15 power play points to to sniff the mid-40s in Colorado. Uh, I don't think he's going to get those 15 power play points in Toronto, so I'm going to ding him a bit now that, Elon, you are no longer in heat over Alex Kerfoot. So give me uh, give me 37 for Kerfoot. Is that a saying? You're no longer in heat for Alex Kerfoot? That sounds weird. <laughs> sounds weird. Okay. Well, I think it's uh, it's about animal mating. Yeah, I know. Okay, so that's what I thought you were talking about. I don't know why you brought that up, but I'll join you. 37 for Kerfoot. Sure, I don't care about him. All right, one more division to go. We're into the central. Uh, we've got another Nylander to talk about. Alexander Nylander has been playing on the top line with Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves. And hey... I guess it makes sense. We didn't even talk about this trade. I feel like on Keeping Carlson, we didn't... Well, I think in the Almanac, this trade hadn't happened yet. Or, or actually, probably had. Uh, and I don't know why we just sort of ignored it. Because why would the Hawks give up Henry Yokiharu, who's a high-pedigree defenseman, for someone they didn't plan to use in a significant role? So yeah, makes sense. And, you know, this guy isn't coming out of nowhere, right? Nylander on Chicago, he was Buffalo's 2016 first pick. Uh, eighth overall in the draft. Hasn't been able to make the Sabres, but he's been only okay, like, not amazing in the AHL, but hey, like so far, three preseason games for Alex Nylander on Chicago. One goal, two assists through three preseason games so far. Definitely someone we need to come up with a projection for, right? And for someone to get on their watch list, if not draft him outright. Like, not only do I, am I just saying we need to project him, this is kind of like a Texier situation. Someone who wasn't on our radar at all, and now I feel like this guy could actually have a significant season. Like, this is a really amazing spot. This is a lot better than being with Dubois and Atkinson. We're talking about being with Taves and Kane. The difficult piece here is that we've had conversations about guys in Chicago in almost this exact spot before. Uh, Tara Vinen, we were hoping in his early days in his career, like he was going to be able to break out and it never happened. And then more recently, Dylan Sikora and Dominic Cahoon. So Alex Nylander just adds his name to this list of players where there isn't a great precedent for stepping into this amazing spot in Chicago and producing. Uh, and then, you know, you look at who did 
play alongside Taves and Kane last season. Uh, the, their most common third was Drake Kajula, and then Dylan Sakura, Dominic Cahoon, Nick Schmaltz. Uh, so the spot has been somewhat beneficial. Like, Kajula was on a great run at one point, but then was no longer, and same thing for Schmaltz. So all of this to say, Alex Nylander is still worth a flyer, right? The same way all these guys were at some point, and maybe Nylander's the one who's going to finally come through. So I, I do think we should project him. I don't know for how much. I think 40 is a safe number. Like, I'll have a Drake Kajula-like season. Maybe he'll start up there, go on a little run, then get bumped down, then bump up, back down. Like, I could see that that third spot, if Taves and Kane do continue playing together, I could see a few guys rotating through it. So I wouldn't assume Nylander gets 82 games there. And even if he did, I wouldn't assume... It's like it's not a slam dunk that he's going to be a huge producer from that spot. Wow, Debbie Downer over here, 40 points. I feel like there's a big difference between Alex Nylander and Drake Kajula, is that Nylander was a eighth overall pick just a couple years ago, and he's still only 21 years old. We just saw Dylan Strome come in and kill it, and we both projected him for 65 points. I'll go 50 for Nylander. I'm really surprised you went 40, but lock it in. Maybe you'll look smart. Maybe I'll look smart. Maybe we'll both look dumb, and he'll get like 60, and then we'll both be eating crow at the end of the season for why were we so low, at least I'll be able to say I was a little higher than you. I hope it's cooked by a fantastic chef. Okay. Uh, Andrew Shaw has been playing with Debrinket and Strom, by the way. So if he stays there, could have some value in a bangers league because he also hits. So I don't know. I'm not going to ask you to change your Andrew Shaw projection. I know you hate him, but uh, just pointing it out that he's uh, been seeing some top six time, which means if you're into Brandon Saad still for some reason, like let it go. Okay, it's not happening. Uh, Colorado. So another uh, RFA that hasn't signed yet, Miko Rantanen. So it looks like they're pretty far apart as well. Andre Burakovsky has been playing on the top line with McKinnon and Landeskog. No points in two preseason games so far. But of course, if Burakovsky gets some time on that top line to start the season, I feel like your 50-point projection for him will look a lot better than it did to me before. Uh, so I got to imagine you're going to stick with it at this point. I'll at least move my 35 projection up to like say 42 i'm not going to go all the way to year 50 but obviously now's a good time to be looking at burkowski for as long as rantanen is unsigned and he's playing with mckinnon and landeskog yeah i wonder elon right off the top would you prefer him to sorelli on opening night assuming assuming that both these guys still aren't signed Hmm, okay, so yeah, I think it's close between Sorelli and Burakovsky. Like, a lot of the other guys we've talked about who are slotting in on top lines that we weren't expecting, you know, like the Texiers and the Nylander, I like them more than both Burakovsky and Sorelli, but if I have to pick one of them, I think I'll, I'll go Sorelli. I've heard more good things about Sorelli than Burakovsky. I'm going up on, from my 35-point projection, I'll go to, like, 43 even, uh, but I'm not going to be up at your 50, because I just don't know if it'll last even if, like, Ranton doesn't sign. And also, I imagine Ranton will sign at some point soon. So, uh, like, for the short term, Burakovsky and Sorelli are absolutely at the top of my list. Uh, if you're looking for a longer-term investment, maybe not. I understand. But, uh, hey, I like I hope Ranton gets the contract he deserves, but he can sit out as long as he needs to to get it uh, so that my Burakovsky projection has a better chance of looking right Uh for anyone following Renton and the and the Avs still seem to be about a million dollars apart. Colorado needs him though, like more than Tampa needs point, I think, uh, even more than Winnipeg needs Kyle Connor. Like Rantanen is probably the most valuable guy of all the remaining unsigned RFA. So I could see Colorado and and Rantanen making nice at a middle number and moving forward. But in the meantime, uh, go Burakovsky. But of course, don't expect Ranton-type production. But I think it is a promising sign, Elon, that Colorado sees him as the best option 
to be up there if Rantanen isn't in the lineup. Like, I think you don't even imagine him being a, a meaningful top six scorer. But if he's the de facto, like, second choice behind Miko Rantanen, that's got to mean that he's going to at least get to play with Kadri the rest of the the rest of the way. Yeah, I guess. I mean, Jimmy Vesey's on the top line on Buffalo right now, and you think that has no chance of lasting, but I guess you're very confident that Burakovsky's going to hold his spot over, like, Don Skoy or Tyson Joster, like, one of the other options there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, Dallas, that's fair. I, I don't think that's, uh, incorrect. like, you have your reasons, and Burakovsky has shown us some promise a few years ago in Washington, so, obviously, when we did the Almanac, you saw something in his numbers that indicated that you still think he could do it, and now he's definitely going to get the opportunity. Let's see if he could do it. If he plays well, he'll stay there. If he doesn't play well, someone else will get the shot uh let's go to dallas here were the practice lines yesterday ben sagan and pavelski and then radulov rupe hints and Denis gurianov so first of all i feel like ugh, i'm kind of annoyed because this goes against like everything that at least i was predicting over the summer because i was kind of thinking that hints would play with sagan and and radulov like at the end of last season and i was kind of looking at ben and pavelski anyways I'll do it. Now, this would be an amazing for Joe Pavelski, if this lasts, right, to play with Ben and Sagan. Not as good for Radulov, who now would play with Hints and Gurianov, so it'd be a huge hit for Radulov. But, like, who knows? I'm not going to read much into these lines just because we haven't even seen them play in a game. This was just practice lines yesterday. Uh, we already have Rupe Hints on our radars. But, Brian, who is this Denis Gurianov character who might land in the top six? He had 48 points in 57 AHL games last year. Not bad at all. Probably we should have a projection for him. Probably should have a projection for him. Uh, he had, uh, like that, like you said, that strong AHL season, and he also played 21 games in the NHL, having a couple nice flashes of skill. Uh, and I think that's what the Stars are hoping they have in him. This is his age 22 season, so it's about time that he tries to prove what he's got to play in the NHL. Uh, he should be projected, but we also need to keep in mind that Corey Perry could still be back on opening night, and that could very well mean that either Rupe Hintz or Denis Gurianov get bumped from that second line. Probably Gurianov, right? Because Hintz is going to be able to play center for that group. So uh, so Gurianov, you just need to be careful. Like, he's not someone I want to ditch anyone meaningful for, just in case Corey Perry does end up back for opening night on that second line. But he does seem like he has some talent, and I think, actually, Rupe Hintz needs to watch his back a little bit to make sure like there's so many different combinations especially with Pavelski being able to to swap between center and right wing Uh, like Pavelski goes down to the second line to play center it's possible Hintz is the one who gets bumped off and out of the top six so like there's a lot of moving pieces in this Dallas top six right now and there's a giant drop between the top six and the rest of the team so uh, Goryanov is someone who has a shot of being in that top six someone worth looking at I'll project him for like I don't know 39 I, I can't expect a whole lot from him until we see exactly how the lines shake out when they do have a perfectly healthy team I suppose there is of course the take that Corey Perry doesn't land in the top six and that these guys that are in it now are the guys that are going to be in it even with a healthy Corey Perry yeah, I'm not really concerned about Corey Perry, just because he seems like kind of old and busted to me. Like, I think we're probably about done with him. Who was that guy? Oh, Hemsky, that like you were into for a long time. And he's sort of old and he every once in a while he'd like show up somewhere. But uh, I'm, I'm starting to get Hemsky vibes from Corey Perry. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, I think I was more into Hemsky as like a, as like a highly skilled player than who Corey Perry is now at this point in his career. Like, I'm not high on Perry at all. 
but I, I imagine the stars are at least going to give him a look in the top six. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe it'll be sort of like the Leafs with Spezza, you know, or maybe New Jersey with Simmons, like a veteran presence that isn't actually going to be used in an offensive role. I'm also going to bring, I guess, my Radulov projection down a little bit. Actually, no, I don't know. I have him at 75 and you have him at 77. Seems kind of high. Like, I was really assuming he's locked in on the top line with Ben and Sagan. Like, if he plays with Hints and Gurianov, that is not good at all and i'm not saying i think it's going to happen for like long but 75 points is a lot so i'll just move him like to 72 just to symbolize that i'm a little more concerned about him i'm not going crazy you're i'm assuming going to stick with your 77 you love Radulov. you bet okay so uh minnesota i like this team okay parisi stall zuccarello were the top line yesterday in the win over the avalanche zuccarello a goal and two assists stall had a goal and an assist eric stall like, uh, patrons are already posting our Facebook group, like, drafts they did, and then I ask, you know, and people post, by the way, don't, I don't mind it, post all you want in the Facebook group, that's what we're here for, people ask, you know, how'd I do with my draft, and then they post their team, I would suggest, if you want to get, like, useful feedback, and not just, like, compliments, that uh, maybe, like, include your free agents, so we could actually make a suggestion of, oh, I would maybe drop this guy for this guy, like, I'm not so into this guy, anyway, a lot of these free agents that I see are, like, having Eric Stahl there, even though he's, looks like he's pretty locked in now as top line, top power play in Minnesota, I'm expecting to have a pretty decent season. Uh, I like Zuccarello. Also, I like Parisi. I feel like all of these guys are a good bet to break 60 points. We projected all of them to be higher than a 60-point pace next year. By the way, also, Matt Dumba had a goal and assist yesterday as well. So Jason Zucker scored a goal. So I don't know. I feel like if uh, these wild players can avoid injuries, I'm more into them than a lot of people. I think I've already said this before. I think they have a good chance to make it back to the playoffs. Uh, so... Whatever, I don't really have a question or anything I'm going to suggest changing, but I'm just saying I'm, I'm into Minnesota. They have a lot of players that are looking really good. I will just nod my head and agree with you. I think Minnesota Wild players are probably the, like, the team that's seeing their players the most underdrafted in leagues. Like I'm seeing free agent lists with Jason Zucker out there, which, yeah, in some leagues, okay, but he's got 60-point potential still, so uh, he shouldn't be too far from your watch list. Eric Stahl also falling a lot further than he should for a top-line, top-power play center who's still got some gas in the tank. Zach Parisi, I still think people probably have a are wary of his health and his body, but I have no hesitation in taking a chance on him this year at the right time. And Zuccarello, like there's a lot of fancy relevant guys in Minnesota that everyone I think is just like, Oh, Minnesota, forget it. I'm moving on. Like there's, there is a red flag with each of them, but it's not big enough to justify just how far they're falling in fantasy drafts. So great value picks available from the Minnesota wild. Yeah, I grabbed Parise in uh, like two of the three drafts that I've done, like super late, like basically like free agent level, like the last round or so. And I think it could be really good value for a top line like winger who takes a lot of shots. Okay, Nashville. We talked a lot in the Almanac about how Nashville had like such a bad power play last year. A lot of our PK Subban talk about like why you thought that he'll do like have a nice bounce back in New Jersey was like, oh, that Nashville power play was so bad. And like it feels like an improvement for this Nashville power play, it's got to be inevitable for next year, right? Like, if anything, you look on paper, the the players on their top power play look like they could be, like, the makings of one of the best power plays in the league. We've got Forsberg, Duchesne, Arvidsson, Johansson, and Roman Yosi. Yesterday versus Tampa, we saw a glimpse, like, two power play goals, one by Forsberg, one by Arvidsson. Duchesne also had himself a game with a goal and an assist, five shots. Forsberg yesterday, 11 shots on goal. Arvidsson had five shots just like Duchesne. So there's a lot of players on Nashville I'm very excited about. Brian, I believe in the Almanac, I pegged Nashville as my second favorite team in the West after Vegas. I think it's going to be one of them going to the Cup 
Cup Finals. Like, I really like Nashville this year, and I feel like they're one of those teams that maybe people have started to write off. I think the analogy I made was to the Capitals the year before they won the Cup. That was the year that people were starting like, oh, maybe Washington's not as good as they used to be. Nashville's looking really good to me. I love this Duchesne acquisition. Uh, doesn't seem like we have a sense of the even-strength lines yet. Like, Granlin and Tourist didn't play yesterday, so I wouldn't read much into the Duchesne-Forsberg-Tolvanen line, especially since Tolvanen got sent to the minors today. Uh, Johansson, Arvidsson, and Rem Pitlick, they were a line. Uh, so I won't read into that, but the power play is looking really hot. So I just think overall, Nashville's looking good. Actually, let me go to these uh, cup odds. Nashville's at 14-1 uh, to 1 to win the cup. That would be a bet I would probably make. I'd put down 20 bucks on Nashville to win the cup and then take home a cool two 300 because I can't do math in my head. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's okay. Leave that to me. I I have a computer on which I can do math pretty quickly. But Nashville is also a team where their players are being underdrafted. I think especially Philip Forsberg seems to be falling a lot. And essentially the difference between his 17-18 production and his 18-19 production was all because of this Nashville power play that was an utter disaster. They ranked 31st in goals scored, they ranked 31st in shooting percentage, and they ranked 29th in expected goals scored. And on a team with their talent, all of that is inexcusable. Like, they got what they deserved. It was not just bad luck, and they have clearly, uh, you read quotes coming out of last season, put a lot of work and thought into trying and fixing. They tried to do it last season. They couldn't on the fly. I'm hoping that they were able to hit the reset button in the Almanac. We predicted that Matt Duchesne would play a net front role on the top power play unit, and that seems to be the case. So uh, I am very excited about Nashville this year. I'm excited about Matt Duchesne. I'm excited about Philip Forsberg. These are all guys like those wild players that you should not be sleeping on. Yeah, and Roman Yosi might be a top five defenseman to draft this year. So putting that out there, I think that's not a controversial thing to say at this point. Okay, two teams to go. St. Louis beat Columbus today, 5-3. Hard to read into their line combinations. Ryan O'Reilly and Tarasenko not playing. I guess what I'll point out, Alice Petrangelo was on the top power play, had a power play goal and an assist. Seems to be underdrafted, like underrated in the drafts that I've been in. I feel like our 54-point projection for Petrangelo is fine, but also definitely I think the ceiling is higher. Like all that triplet stuff... It's all sorted by now. He's figured out how to deal with all these kids, and I think he's really going to be focused and good and be on the top power play and produce all of this season. I'm, I'm excited to get Petrangelo late in drafts if I can. I'm actually a little more worried about Vince Dunn than I am about the triplets, who uh, hope, like didn't seem to affect him all that much last season, because when Petrangelo was on the top power play, he was able to make use of that time, and he see, you know there was that one season where everyone was like really buying in, and that came after a couple seasons where he was underrated, and it's now preceded a couple seasons in which Petrangelo is underrated. I don't think there's much reason to worry about him giving you uh, less than 54 points, uh, which is what we projected for him, plus a bunch of peripherals too. Uh, the only thing that can get in the way is Vince Dunn, and I think Petrangelo has been doing this long enough now for the Blues to be like, okay, alright, Petrangelo is our best top power play quarterback. Yeah, ever since the new coach came in, Petrangelo's been on the top power play, so I'm not worried about Vince Dunn at all. Okay, one team to go. The team that's definitely putting people on the most tilt, especially if you drafted Dustin Bufflin before it was announced that he's taking a leave of absence to contemplate potentially retiring Brian, I'm one of these people. I took over a team in a league uh, from one of our patrons, and it was like a keep 12, and then Bufflin was available in the first round. I decided I'm going to go for the win now strategy. Here's where Alex could make fun of me in the chat room. I thought I just want to win now. There were some rookies available. I could have taken Kale McCarr with this pick. I went with Bufflin. It's a it's a uh, roto league with all the, a lot of categories, and I just thought Bufflin was going to be vo- really valuable, and now he might not even play. My first pick! 
Oi, oi, oi. Okay, so first of all, Brian, what should I do with him? What should anyone who drafted Dustin Bufflin and has him on their team, if you, like, don't have room in your IR and you can't drop it, like, you know, you can't stash him, you have to decide to drop him or waste a spot, would you hold on to him at this point? Or do you just let him go because who knows when he's going to play, if ever? It depends what the free agent pool is like, but if I, like, just generically... Uh, in a league that isn't so shallow, like where you can't just pick up another 45, 50 point defenseman if you'd like, uh, I would hold on to Bufflin. I don't think you have a whole lot to lose uh, by just keeping him on your roster, especially till opening night when things are going to happen. Other teams are going to drop players. Lineups are going to shift. There might be other moves you want to make. I don't think that there's anything you know for sure about this upcoming season that is going, like, any player, like Alex Nylander, like, whatever. He can stay in free agency, and I'll hold on to Dustin Bufflin just in case he comes back. I think the risk-reward is worthwhile. Uh, So, yeah. So, I am not, like, I'd be very worried as this Dustin Bufflin owner, and I'd be eyeing my plan Bs and plan Cs, but I wouldn't be jumping to them just yet. Yeah, hopefully, if your league is smart, it has IR plus spots, so you can put him, even though he's like, has suspended status now, I think on Yahoo because uh, uh, Winnipeg officially like suspended him so they could open up some cap room. So yeah, like hopefully you could just stash him so you're not wasting a spot and then just hope that maybe he could come back be a nice ringer for you right around your fantasy playoffs time. Maybe like he's going to come back halfway through the season and help Winnipeg in a playoff run. Though maybe by that point, Winnipeg won't be on a playoff run because they don't have Dustin Bufflin along with still currently Patrick Lina and Kyle Connor who haven't signed contracts. This is not a good situation for the Jets. Although I guess this is potentially good news for Josh Morrissey, right? If Bufflin gone, then I would assume Morrissey's next in line for top power play and more even strength deployment. Uh, I already projected him pretty highly in the Almanac. I had him at 47. You had only 41. Are you going to raise your Josh Morrissey projection now with Bufflin injured? And also, I guess we should talk about guys like Neil Pionk and Sammy Niku who might get opportunities with Bufflin out of the picture. Well, so your projection of Josh Morrissey getting 47 points was all based on this idea that he was going to get a lot better uh, deployment, but I made the argument that he couldn't get more deployment because he was behind Dustin Bufflin on his side of the ice, and there's no way, like, there, there's nowhere to go for him until Bufflin is so so much in decline that uh, Morrissey ends up being the go-to guy instead, and lo and behold, uh, like, Morrissey has no Bufflin in front of him all of a sudden. So I, that's why I had 41 points, because I just did not see... Like, I liked what Morrissey did. I just didn't see him getting any more opportunity to do it. Uh, Now I do. I don't think I'm going to change it preemptively, though. Like, I I don't know what to do about Bufflin. I think I'd like to... Like, do I need to update it now, Elon? When, 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 like, when's reasonable? Well, I mean, at some point, people have already drafted, and this was completely useless to them, right? Like, I mean, it's like a couple weeks before the season starts. I feel like you have to do it now. Ugh. Okay. Join me at 47. He's good. Even if I'm Bufflin's not going around. To 40, if Bufflin plays, there's no there's no room. We we went through this on the Almanac. Everyone can go back and listen to the chapter. We went back and forth where you're just like, Morrissey can be so much better. And it was like, no, he can't. You kept saying how he could. And then okay, I pointed even, out how he couldn't. First of all, Bufflin's not going to start the season. Like, he hasn't even been at training camp. He'd have to, like, start tomorrow to get there. Plus, even if he does play, he's going to get injured for stretches. So there still will be yeah. opportunities for Morrissey to get top deployment. So, uh, so I, like I said, I said I would take him for 41 points and then... Like, with upside, acknowledging that there's more p- potential there for the times when Bufflin gets hurt and Morrissey gets to be the one who replaces him. Um, so I guess assuming that it's going to happen for at least 
a few weeks at the start of the season, if not the whole thing. I'll go up to I'll go up to forty four. Okay. Sounds good. And what about Pionk and Niku? So for Neil Pionk, I had 35, you had 32. Maybe go, I'll go 37 now. <laughs> and then, like, maybe he gets second power play. Okay, uh, I'll go 34. Okay, and then Sammy Niku, we didn't even come up with a projection. Now he's probably likely to make the team. I'm not, like, going to go nuts for him. Maybe I'll go, I don't know, what are you going to go? I'll copy you. I'll go, uh, I'll go 33. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> And uh, with that, we've got, is that everything I want to say about Winnipeg? Oh, no, I did want to say one more thing, or two more things, actually, very quickly. First of all, with all of this crap going on in Winnipeg, like, how much more concerned should people be about Connor Hellebuck this year? Like, he already wasn't, like, amazing last year. Now he's on a team that's not looking great, especially while Connor and Line remain unsigned. Should we consider moving Connor Hellebuck down a tier? Or... Like, are we at a point where now Connor Hellebuck might become a little underrated and you could get him as a steal in drafts? Maybe people are too afraid of him and he's still, like, a pretty good goalie on what could still maybe be a decent enough team? Like, I'm just curious to get your current headspace on Connor Hellebuck as someone you could potentially draft for one of your leagues. <laughs> like, that's how I feel about Connor Hellebuck right now. Uh, he's not, like, he's definitely not a tier one goalie, whereas, you know, we had to, he had been one in the past, and we sort of had, or at least approaching one for this year, and we had to clarify exactly why he doesn't belong in tier one or tier two, um, just because he was really underwhelming last season. And while he's likely to still get the lion's share of the starts in Winnipeg, Winnipeg just is not looking like, they're as good a team anymore as they were when we were like, oh yeah, Hellebuck, blue chip pedigree on a cup contending team. And now it's like, oh, well, we didn't really see much of that blue chip last year. And this is like, arguably not a cup contender anymore without Liney, Chuba, and Bufflin. Like those are three very important pieces to their uh, chances at winning night in, night out. So I still think Winnipeg's strong enough to make do without it. I'm not going to drop Hellebucket here just because we also know he's going to be a workhorse and there's really nobody else outside of our top three tiers who can be considered somebody who's going to be a workhorse, except I guess Martin Jones, uh, who we expect to have that role. Um, So I'm happy with where he is in tier three. I'm a little more worried, I guess, about picking up wins, but I don't think his save percentage, I hope it can't get much worse than it was than last year's 913. Yeah, don't forget he also lost Jacob Truba. Like, there's a lot of changes that have happened in Winnipeg that I think are for the worse right now. Hopefully, at least Line and Kyle Connor sign contracts soon. Like, come on, let's go already. Uh, one last thing, Nikolai Ehler is projected to skate on line one today with Wheeler and Shifley. Uh, so, anyways, just uh, something interesting, right? Like, actually, Brian, I don't know the answer to this question. If it's Ehlers, Wheeler, and Shifley on the top line, the Jets are playing today. I haven't looked yet to see what their lines are. Who would even be on the second line? Like, do you want to take a guess as to who's playing on line two on Winnipeg today? Do you have the answer? I'm bringing it up now. Okay. Uh, well, there's Jack Roslevic, Brian Little, uh... Yeah, like there's always Matthew Perot, but the, it, you know, all of a sudden Winnipeg doesn't look so deep. They have this guy, um, he's Finnish. I've seen his name get tweeted a lot. Roslevic, Little, and Veselainen. And thanks, Alex, in the chat for mentioning Veselainen. You're right, it's not a really impressive group uh, behind the, the top line, Shifley, Ehlers, and Wheeler, with no Liney and no Connor. But, like, that's going to happen when two players in your top six are 
sitting out for a better contract. Yeah. Hey, and uh, Ehlers scored a goal in the third period, assisted by Shifley and Wheeler. Nothing for Veselainen. Obviously not someone to watch too carefully. If that is the second line, then it basically becomes like a Colorado second line from last year, where you don't even care if they're on the second line, because the first line is the only line that matters. So, Brian, we did it. We made it through the entire NHL. It only took us, what, like a couple hours, two and a half hours, maybe total. We'll see after the edit how long this episode is. But this has been a blast. We have come up with some changes to our projections, which is good because I'm going to use these projections for drafts and I'm feeling a lot better about them now. Uh, so this was a lot of fun. Thanks to everyone who listened. If you enjoyed this show, uh, we're going to do basically this, but probably shorter, like once the season starts. Right? We're going to be reacting to what's going on with actual NHL games and line combinations and injuries and outjuries and discuss the fantasy impacts of all of them all throughout the season. So definitely subscribe. Subscribe to the show on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you want to listen to podcasts. We'd love to have you on board for the season. Uh, we have our Patreon program. Now's a great time to get involved. You could get show notes for every episode. You join our patron-only Facebook group where we're all giving each other fantasy advice all the way through. Uh, the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League. If you signed up, uh, you've everyone actually who signed up has already accepted their invite. So take note. Make sure you can make it to your draft. We've got 252 people drafting next weekend for the couples. So hopefully all of that will go smoothly. If you want to play, if you sign up for as a patron, you could sign up for the wait list and either you'll get into a draft or maybe you'll be an alternate. If some, There's always people you know who have to give up their teams for various reasons throughout the season. So the sooner you sign up for the wait list, the more likely you will be to get a team earlier on. So that's keepingcarlson.com slash patron. And if you want to get access to these projections or any of our Almanac recordings, uh, just go to keepingcarlson.com slash Almanac. You'll see things are discounted from what they were before because I realize that now you're probably running out of time to listen to this whole audiobook. Uh, so those are the main links. Once again, keepingcarlson.com slash patron and slash Almanac. With that, Brian, how about we cue the outro music? And why don't you go ahead and read us the credits? And you don't have to read the credits of every single tweet that I gave because that would take a really long time. Oh, thank goodness. Okay, that saves us 45 minutes. This episode of the Keeman Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dabra Hockey and powered by our patrons, including our two newest ones, James and Sean. Welcome aboard. This episode was researched with help from Dabra Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dabra Prospects, Natural Stat Trick, Evolving Hockey, Cap Friendly, Charting Hockey, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, and Roto World. Great job, as always, Brian. Not sure what we're going to do next weekend because we're very busy running all these drafts. We'll get an episode out one way or the other. So uh, looking forward to talking to you then. Isn't the episode the live auction footage of Tier 1? Oh, yeah. So we'll see if we release that as an episode. Let's see how smoothly it goes. Uh, so maybe that'll be an episode or maybe it'll be bonus content that we'll point you to. So well, keep on top of our of our RSS feed for the show. Keep on top of our Twitter. We'll let you know where to find everything. Yeah, we are going to broadcast our Tier 1 auction, Sweden. You'll definitely be able to watch that live, and then we'll discuss if we release it onto the podcast feed, depending how smoothly it goes. Okay. Uh, regardless, until then, please keep on keeping Carl San, because he's going to have a really good season, and I haven't changed my mind about that. Yeah, me neither. Same with John Carlson. Right. All the Carlsons. Even Melker. <laughs> <laughs>